good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Do you want to die, Sydney? It's your turn to scream, asshole. From the streets of Woodsboro. Back to the streets of Woodsboro. We are Halloweenies. Greetings and welcome once again to Halloweenies as our season on Scream screams on. I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Man and Mask Gerber. And for this episode, we are venturing into a video store from yesteryear looking for the Randy's Rex section once again. And lo and behold, we have found it. And it turns out it's actually attached to this local movie theater that's screening some strange movie. And I was given instructions on how to get there by some guy in a silver family opera mask. And he gave me a ticket. And, oh, wow, things have gotten really the shit. They will make cemeteries their cathedrals and the cities will be your tombs. That must mean we are talking about Lamberto Bava's Demons from 1985. But before we start, go around and discuss the first time we remember seeing this movie. Let's start out with the, uh, I guess you would call this person... The uh, Mac and Mask, uh, my brother. Talk about it. That's right. This is Wolfman, the Metropole Mac Gerber. Mm. And uh, I'm really excited to see this movie. I hear it's uh, it's brand new. And no, I'm just kidding. No, I love demons. I, I feel like, like the we're already th- messing with the form of the, <laughs> the, the present and past and narrative. The demons are already, uh, are already coming through the screen here. Like that happens in the film. First time I saw demons, I think... I think it was with you, Justin, was it not? And was it up here? And it, was it like within the last 10 years? I, saw, I did not well, see this as a kid. Or maybe me, I I'll, did. I just can't remember that. I have no idea. Well, let me, let me go ahead and just butt in and tell you my story then. Because maybe this will ring a bell. Okay. I, the first time I saw it was actually about, I want to say about 12, 13 years ago. Thank you very much to the great Netflix um, because I was able to rent this uh, through their old DVD service, if people even remember that at this point. Because at that point, it was hard to find it because, you know, Blockbuster really taken over every video store in the world at that point, and Demons just wasn't on the shelves, you know. So I was able to rent it from Netflix, and I watched it then. Mac, I wonder, did you watch it for the first time with myself, Mike Rothman and, and Randall? Or was that just Absolutely another time? Not. You no, it? I'd seen it way before that. If it was 12 years ago, you were oh. here and we watched it together most likely. Um, I, yeah, I probably I remember, rented it again, watched it, yeah, yours as possible. Yeah, too. I remember loving it the first time I saw it and I've, I've seen it multiple times since. It's such a great group film like because oh, yeah. it's just so fun. As violent and disgusting as it is, it's just a good fun time for the kids i just think it's it's really entertaining yeah it's such a simple premise too and i think i can't wait to dive into that yeah for the kids accompanied by an adult of course I mean, let's be responsible yeah sure here. okay whatever sure and let's see who's uh chiming in all the way across the pond 
not really across the pond, but across the state lines, well, well past state lines, multiple state lines. And who is that? That would be me. <laughs> that would be me, uh, Rachel Ripper and Rosemary Reeves. Oh, the alliteration. Oh. I like this. This is good. I love a movie that definitely has some multiple R names. So big fan of that. And a big fan of both of these characters. Very different. Very different characters. But oh, yeah. I enjoy them both thoroughly in this movie. I'm relatively new to demons, I guess, as far as like my uh, journey through horror goes, saw it within the last 10 years. Mm. Um, once I started kind of digging into some Italian cinema, it kind of came to me along that journey and completely 100% blew my mind. <laughs> Was not expecting it to be this good. You know, I, I will say I went into it with some preconceived notions mm. and was immediately put in my place because I was wrong <laughs> and uh, loved it. So cannot wait to dive into this bananas film. It is truly a bananas film. And speaking of bananas, we've got one more person on this podcast, another co-host, and he's been described as bananas many times. Who is that? B-A-N-A-N-A-S. That's right. This is Mike the Pimp Vanderbilt coming to you from <laughs> the south side of Chicago. Uh, Demons is one I saw a little bit later, too. And, Justin, it mirrors your story because it was also because of the Netflix disc service. Yeah, yeah. So that would have been about 03. I would have been about 23. And I was hesitant to sign up for Netflix because I thought it was going to be like Blockbuster, where they would have countless copies of the latest Transformers movie and nothing else. <laughs> But when I saw their selection, I was like, oh, this is great because, and I've told this, I've told this, I think, at the Sleepaway Camp podcast, when I, I was working at Borders at the time, and if I wanted, mm. uh, that was when, during the heyday of Anchor Bay, which I believe this yeah. was released by, and if I wanted to see something, I would just special order it, and I would bring it home, and if I didn't like it, I wouldn't buy it, but that kind of gets expensive, and they kind of hassle you when you start ordering shit, you don't buy it, so Netflix is great. Because I was able to catch up on all that stuff that I wanted to see that you couldn't rent anywhere that I missed as a kid. And Demons was one of them. And I don't understand how we never read the discipline because of oh, the, the great box art. And I think we really would have dug it. But it's always going to be a memorable uh, movie watching experience for me because even at 23 year old, 23 years old, essentially old enough to have children and uh, enough <laughs> to be living on your own, that final scare. Uh fucking got so me. good so good well it's funny you were 23 but you're not quite old enough to rent a car you're definitely old enough to go to war and smoke and drink but can't rent a car yet you gotta the wait last, a couple more years i rented a car a couple of years ago and i was like oh why didn't i ever oh, why don't i do this all the time and it's like because you can't when you're 23 or because it's ridiculously expensive <laughs> right. but you know at 39 or whatever 40 years old it was like 20 dollars for three days and they're paying you the twenty dollars. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> really, it really out well. well, you mentioned a good point. Let's talk about that VHS box because you want to talk about like this. I mean, I remember it was a it was like an independent video store. This must have been back in like nineteen hundred and eighty six, eighty seven. I don't know one of those years. And I just remember that box so well because it's kind of misleading. Yeah, it just says box, demons now, at the which top. Box are you, which I'm talking box about the one that says it says demons at the top, and it's got the green demon yes. that comes out of the back. But and it looks like as we said this off mic, but it looks like the the green demon is wearing like a black turtleneck. 
in on the cover if you want to revisit that cover real quick. So in my mind, I thought, oh my god, these like these people are these just like demons dressed up, or do they possess people who are in turtlenecks? What's going on here? <laughs> you know, what I had no like? clue how small the, the the demon actually is in the movie because it looks like a six foot person or something. Yeah. You know what it looks like, Justin? It's like a, a black box theater performance of demons. Oh god, where everybody's yes. in yeah. black. It's a one man show, <laughs> like black unitards, <laughs> just it's in a black demon box. masks. No, it's just the That's lights are out. Like. But I will say, hits, and in spotlight hits. You've got just like that one empty um, crate that the demon's sitting on. As like you know, well, the it, year was sixteen hundred and twelve. <laughs> I just met the love of my life. You know, <laughs> I just going to say that he's like in the middle of bursting out someone's back, and then just turns to the audience and says, "I was five years old." <laughs> <laughs> uh, ultimately, I I I always love this cover though. I thought it was, I did say I, was, I thought it was really misleading because for me I always it looked like the way that the demon looks it looks like something that from like a 1940s uh you know black and white film that was like colorized you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like they like painted yeah, yeah. the the cell and I so I always thought it was going to be a lot more retro than than the retro 1985 film that we got. But I, I love that cover. It, it, it's stuck in my mind. And it, okay, we should just do an episode on VHS covers because that was so many people's yeah. gateway into, yeah. into, you know, watching horror films. I feel like just because you were just tantalized by the cover, even if the movie sucked, uh-huh. <laughs> you have like this affinity for the, for the VHS covers, but. And well, to add to that, I think demons is the rare film where it actually, lives up to the expectations that a VHS cover and exceed them. True. Yeah, because not only getting demons, you're getting, you know, a lot of demons. I mean, this movie doesn't mess around in that regard. Pretty much everybody by the end of this movie, except for the motorcycle-driving, sword-wielding George becomes a demon. You know, so, I mean, what can I say? Rachel, you're like 15 to 20 years younger than us, so when you were seeing the cover for the DVD, what was that? No, <laughs> well, I don't remember... <laughs> I will say there's not really a bad cover for this Mm -hmm. film. And so I did not see the one that you guys are talking about. That wasn't my first like image related to, to demons. The first one that I ever saw. And yeah, I do. I honestly, I have to admit, I don't think it was a VHS cover. It was that it was, you know, the first thing that I saw, but just the poster image. Um, It was just the one where they're backlit and their eyes are glowing. And it's so good. And then, also the the hand like holding the audience yeah that's Mm -hmm. a great one and just like you said both of those what's really remarkable about them is both of those kind of ideas and images actually happen in the film this isn't like a demon wind you know situation where this like monster is you know you think you're gonna get it and then (laughs) you know it doesn't deliver like all of these covers, all the images that I've ever seen for this movie actually do hold up and deliver, which is incredible. It's awesome. Well, it's funny you mention that because the last episode that we did was um, House on Sorority Row, which has an extremely misleading uh, box art. <laughs> yes. It, yeah. and, and not only the box art, but even like the tagline is kind of this misleading, you know, revenge fantasy movie or something. But uh, no, Demons Delivers. I mean, it was, what's the tagline for Demons? Is it just... The city well, they will make cemeteries, cemeteries or cathedrals, right? cathedrals. Yeah. yeah. Simple. And, and I love that you point. you hear that in the film. Like, how often yeah. do you actually hear the <laughs> tagline like repeated in the film? So I also oh, love totally. in movies when you hear the the title. Oh yeah, you know? and you definitely hear the, the the name demon several times in this movie. <laughs> oh, as, <laughs> you, yeah. 
as long as we're talking about the box art and the poster mm. art, let's talk about Enzo Schiatti, who uh, painted the one that Rachel was talking about, the classic uh, one-sheet design. He was... Uh, what, what do I say? He was uh, like one of the, he was a guy, an icon of 80s Italian horror and mm. illustrated over 3,000 movie posters. Whoa. The son of a church decorator, uh, discovered Naturally. a love of art as a teenager. And I've got a little bit of a list of what he did. And let's run these down. Yeah, because there's no real category for this later on. So we might as well knock this out. Go ahead. The House by the Cemetery, nice. Beyond. Yes, uh, he did no- notable alternate alternate artwork for Army of Darkness and Blue Velvet. It's actually a great Blue Velvet poster that we discussed in group text yesterday with oh, man. the I've pair of that. legs tied to the uh, the pool table. AMC was demanding to put that up in their theaters. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, then, <laughs> Not sure uh, why they didn't pass the book. And he would do a bunch of alternate artwork for like American releases. Uh, notable posters for Scream, Waxwork, Silver Bullet. Uh, did a lot of Italian comedies, uh, several portraits of Idwidge Fennec, one of my favorite Stone Cold Foxes of Italian cinema, and uh, just passed away in April of 2021. Oh, wow. But well, you can um, go check out his Instagram at EnzoSchiati64, which he just kind of posted his work. Uh, you can go through and kind of take a look at everything. That, like I said, pretty much every cool video box of like Italian horror films, he was the guy who did it. I have a question for you, Mike. Was he the one who did the actual demons logo, like the text and that like, mm. design of the font? That's a good question. I, I believe so. Just because all of his posters have like a kind of similar design. I do it's like it. so cool. Like it's one of my favorite like title card, you know, and the, just yes. the whole design of that font and how bright it is and just the style of it. So cool. I also so love slashes how... through it and kind of like the devilishly it looks like a little devil D, you know. I, yeah. I, like so I also love how the uh, the titles of this movie are so quick. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. It's like bam, well, bam, bam. Movie starts. <laughs> it's I would say it's unlike. Well, you know what? Let's save the Argento discussion yeah, yeah. for a couple categories because I think there's something to be said about the pace of this movie versus a normal directed Dario Argento movie. Well, let's move on to our next category because this is, like we said, this is the Scream season. Okay, And we're doing this movie for a reason. If you've seen Demons and you've seen Scream 2, I think you can figure out why we're doing Demons. But let's move on to our next category, which is about Scream. We're going to talk about some Scream news and the category. Let me say category two more times. Category, category, <laughs> top story. Hi, this is Gail Weathers with an exclusive eyewitness account of this amazing breaking story. Well, folks, a couple days before this recording that we're doing right now, Matt Bettinelli Open, one of the co-directors of the upcoming Five Cream, posted a Twitter picture of him at the boards with the Scream logo on the screen. And he said, Scream 2022 is complete. We're so excited for you all to see it soon. Hashtag for Wes. And then sound designer Greg Russell posted another pic on Instagram showing good old father death, grandfather time himself, Ghostface. <laughs> on the big screen, so we got our first look at Ghostface. And I'll tell you what, I was really, he looks like Ghostface. I was really stunned. No. <laughs> But so, yeah, it's, it's really done. being, uh, what do I want to say, true to the original series with Five Cream. It's mm-hmm. very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yes, with Five Cream. And so it, and that's top. a wrap. They're done. And now all we have to do is wait another, 
I guess six months is still supposed to come out January of next year. That coveted 26th anniversary. Opposed to just doing it one month earlier for the 25th anniversary. But I guess <laughs> I'm not sure what's coming out. I guess they won't compete with West Side Story or something. I don't know what's going on over there. But we wish them all the best. They know what they're doing over there. Uh, so, yeah. And, and once again, I'm a huge fan of not seeing a lot of material before a movie comes out. And I'm sure I'll be saying the same thing about how excited I am going into October before we're bombarded with full scenes on YouTube mm-hmm. uploaded by the actual production companies um, before the trailer obviously starts to give things away. But I'm enjoying this time of, of not knowing. Rachel, where are you right now with, with uh, Five Cream? I mean, I'm stoked, to be honest. And mm-hmm. I, I'm on the, in the same boat as you are. Like, I love not hearing a lot of information about it. Like, I want to go in a little blind. I don't even like watching trailers a lot of time. Like, yep. I finally did give in and watch the Halloween one, but oh, there you go. I didn't want to at first, but <laughs> I, I say, gave did you in, regret but, that? <laughs> um, Do you feel like you've seen the movie now? I, I, I don't know. TBD. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I, I did enjoy you guys talking about it though. I can say that. Um, <laughs> I recently oh, so, actually. So you're the one. <laughs> it was me. I enjoyed it. It was me. Boy, we got some. We got some blowback. People did not like to hear us giving opinions on things. It took. It took about three years, but they finally didn't like us giving an opinion on something. It's all right. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Dan Caffrey and his stance. I feel like I relate to Caffrey a lot. So yes. if, if he ever needs um, a fellow. Well, like, we were talking about for the episode. I think we were talking about how we would probably do two. One of them would be Vanderbilt, Mac, me, and Mike. And then the other one would be Dan, uh, maybe you, and then two other people who are were much more like the devil and angel take yep. on Halloween Kills. <laughs> so, so, so the people who love it can have a great time, and the people who didn't like it can have another great time. Yeah. Um, or if they if, if they don't care either way, you know, they're gonna they, well, hours and hours of commentary on Halloween Kills. So yeah, we'll see. I did. I, I, uh, I so I recently interviewed Brian Tyler, the composer Brian Tyler. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I was interviewing him about his um, score for the new escape room that came out, but I did sneak in a screen question because he's taking that over for this new movie oh, and okay. couldn't pass up that opportunity. So yeah, I talk, was talking to him because I think it's really interesting that he's the first composer to really take over for Marco Beltrami. Yeah. And he did kind of confirm that they are staying in the tune and kind of the same arena sound wise, at least as Marco Beltrami really paying tribute to the music that came before, you know, making something new for this new film, but it's not going to, you know, sound completely out of nowhere and have like a, you know, synth score or something. So it's, yeah, that would take gonna, me right it's still going to sound like the world of Woodsboro and everything. So I enjoyed, he didn't give me a lot of details, not surprisingly, but I was, I was happy to hear that. Well, he said, well, this, this, the first theme I'm working on is, is a thing that we're calling Sydney dies. And it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> the death of Sydney. Death of Sydney in I, the first minute. No, that's interesting that someone's taking over for, for Marco, but I, I, the, what's cool about that? I would what I would love to see with that score is like how they tackled the score in in T uh, two Transpotting, <laughs> where it was just like these weird ethereal echoes of themes we mm, are more familiar yeah. with, but it's not quite that because it's been a long time. So it's like you know it 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 pulls on the heartstrings of Scream fans, but it also gives gives it you know gives it way to to build and make its own thing with with hopefully. Uh, the first of many uh, five cream sequels uh, in the, in the well, future. What if it's like, a, like they just keep calling it five cream for the six <laughs> ones, like five cream two. 
Five no, two. No. Freeman again. Just boogie Brown. Oh boy. Freeman, yeah. Freeman again. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that Brian Tyler's taking over because Marco Beltrami, I noticed, did uh, at least co-composed the new Fear Street movies. Yeah. Hmm. And what's funny is, is that the first one definitely, Fear Street 94 definitely. 100%. Timely pays, and I actually enjoyed that, but it definitely pays homage <laughs> to Scream. And it's, it's weird that Bill Trami's not even doing the new score for a, 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 the franchise he began anyway. I can go in it, circles well, about that. It, it makes sense. I mean, Brian Tyler's worked with the director and the producers on this new movie a lot. He did Ready or Not with them. Mm. He's done, mm. like, one of the producers, he's done, like, 20-some movies with this producer. So it kind of makes sense to me. I don't, yeah, but I don't know. I, I have I have a hard time believing they didn't go to Marco Beltrami first. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, Hollywood's a you weird know, place. I feel like so. as, also as a composer, though, sometimes it's not about, like, you know, the next paycheck. He, clearly, he's been working and doing a lot of things. And, uh, oh, you yeah. know, how many times can he's you fine. revisit the Mark Scream Trump score and make yeah. it different and new and worth your time? You know, just as an artist, I feel like you, you sometimes you just like, I got to do something else. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. I and wonder. Tyler is like, he's done so many sequels and taken over so many franchises. He did, I mean, he did Rambo. He's done the Avengers. You know, he's taken over, like, he's taken over things from Alan Silvestri and Jerry Goldsmith. Like, he's... If you're going to have somebody come in to a franchise that, you know, has worked with incredible composers in the past, like he's a pretty solid choice. Not going to lie. So, well, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm yeah, assuming same. we get the soundtrack. I would guess this, the score, right? This fall, probably, right? Yeah, I would guess so. At least a digital iTunes. release will probably come yeah. pretty soon after. But then I, I would imagine that they'll do something physical, which is exciting because I'm all about that physical media. Baby. Oh, they will yeah. definitely. <laughs> there'll definitely be some vinyl stuff going on. I'm 100 percent certain on that. They're going to be capitalizing on this. Uh, I felt really old the other day, actually, because I saw Courtney Cox did an interview with her, her daughter that she had with uh, David Arquette. And I think she's like 20 years old now. Oh, oh my geez. God. <laughs> Holy God. But um, they seem to be doing very well, so I'm very happy for, for both of them. Okay, let's move on to our next category. And this is a category in which we're going to discuss why we're doing demons and a little bit about the history of 1985's demons, a little behind the scenes from what we've got. And that means that we've got to go all the way over to the Woodsboro Police Station. Okay, everybody listen up. Let me just say, uh, the killing of these these teenagers has been tragic, but, uh, hey, you know, shit happens. Sheriff! 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 Okay, so I've got some notes here. You know, fill in the blanks, folks, if you've got some little tidbits of your own as I go through, as we always do. Granted, once again, as I always have to point out, I have memorized everything. I'm not referring to any notes. This is pure memorization, so get ready for this. Uh, so, Lamberto Bava... <laughs> who's the son of Mario Bava. He did Black Sunday, Black Sabbath, and a movie that we've briefly touched on called A Bay of Blood that definitely influenced Friday the 13th. So anyway, Lamberto Bava, though, had an idea to create this horror anthology, much like his father did with Black Sabbath. And one of the entries was going to have, was going to take place in the movie theater, and demons or monsters would come out of the screen and basically attack the, the crowd. I think that would be a pretty fun 30-minute entry, you know? So that, that makes sense in that standpoint. Now, Bava, obviously, besides Mario Bava, obviously, he had connections in the film industry, most notably. 
he worked on Dario Argento's 1982 I think he was the assistant director or second, whatever you want to call it, right below, right below director. Now, side note here, folks. It is, it is one of my hopes and dreams that we'll, we'll do some big, deep dive on Dario Argento and even Tenebre. So I'm not gonna, we're not going to talk too much about Dario Argento in this episode, unless it has literally to do with demons, because I think we'll be doing a bigger exploration of his life and career uh, later on. So keep that in mind. If you're like, what, what, what about, uh, you know, um, Deep Red? Why have you talked about Deep Red? Well, just wait, okay? We're going to talk about it some other time. Uh, but needless to say, Tenebre and Argento's work specifically in the 70s and 80s, is definitely work worth checking out. And then Dracula 3D. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so Baba's relationship with Argento uh, led the latter to agree to not only just produce demons, you know, kind of put his stamp of approval on it for commercial reasons, but he's actually very involved in the process. He not only added to the script, but he was responsible for the seemingly multiple hirings and firings of different screenwriters. I mean, this thing's got more screenwriters attached to it than, like, Chinatown, you know? So I don't know what's going on there. But uh, so the movie was ultimately a, a big success in Italy. It grossed well over a billion dollars. And by a billion dollars, I mean Italian lira. And I will tell you this, folks, a fun fact. The Italian lira went away in 2002. Did you know that? Did not know that. And it was replaced, <laughs> replaced by the euro. Nobody else knew that. Now, what well, is you know, it? Now, what, what is, that, on, is that comparable to the U.S. dollar? I mean, what, what, what is a billion not at lira? All. A billion lira, I think, it was about a little under a million dollars. I think. Oh, are you kidding that's me? Right. So, that's a drastic. Yeah. Now, wait, that was that's just overseas, though, right? That and that was just in Italy. Okay. You know? Okay. And so, but it, it 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 was still success over there. Like it was. I don't know how they garner what is a success and what is a failure in certain countries, but they said it was a success. I mean, it obviously was. They went right into another Demons movie. So It was like the number 39 grossing 39. horror film right. of, uh, in Italy, and it outgrossed, uh, what, Silver, Silver Bullet was that year, Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street. Wow. Uh, yeah, it made some money. And you were talking about uh, the screenwriters on it because yeah. I just wanted to drop like some more fun facts because uh, story credit goes to Dardano Sacchietti, who uh, wrote a whole like the Italian horror uh, thing? Like I like about Bava and Argento working together is like it's kind of a family thing mm. where it's like the the what do I say the, the family business? But like it's so incestuous because this guy he wrote "You'll Die at Midnight," "Exterminators," of the Year Three Thousand. "You'll Die at Midnight" has a poster by Enzo Sciatti, uh, "New York Ripper," "The Beyond," and is uncredited. Fulci, Fulci, on one, Fulci. Of, one of our favorites, which isn't. An Italian horror flick, but oh, sure yeah. does feel like one. Amityville yeah. Two: The Possession. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the ultimate non-Italian Italian horror movie of the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But then we also had this guy Franco Farini, who also wrote a lot of Argento op- opera, Two Evil Eyes, The Church, which is sometimes credited as Demons Three. Oh yes. We'll but talk about my that. favorite credit of his is that he's credited on Once Upon a Time in America, the Sergio Leone movie. Yeah, so you got Leone, you got Fulci, Argento, Baba. This guy was worked with the masters of Italian cinema. The maestros. The maestros. A little more appropriate. You're absolutely right in that, in that count. And by the way, drink if you thought we'd be mentioning Stephen King's Silver Bullet twice in the first uh, 25 <laughs> minutes of the <laughs> Lombardo Baba's Demons episode. But we did it. 
But we did it. King's Dominion. There you go for your for the crossover fans out there. I will say it was very interesting because I actually started doing notes on this a couple weeks ago. Usually I do it the week of, but I had a lot of time on my hands because <laughs> that's just what that's what it's like right now, folks. But I will say I I scoured the internet and please I'm sure one of you found some incredible interview that I missed. But so many of Lamberto Baba's interviews have been done over the last 25, 30 years at conventions. And you know, there's a big language barrier there, I think. So a lot of the uh, questions and answers at these conventions are very kind of, you know, stilted or just one word answers, basically very succinct and to the point. Um, so there's just not a lot of background to be found on this movie, which is shocking to me because I feel like it does, has a, it's got a pretty big cult audience at this point. Um, I do have something here that I did learn from uh, Jaretta Jaretta. And I, by the way, I, I checked two different sites to make sure I pronounced that correctly. Jaretta Jaretta, who plays Rosemary in this movie. And in an interview with Film Monthly back in 2015, he said that Bava was like the nicest uncle you ever had. And that to this day, the director still calls the cast Mia Ragazzi, which translates to my kids. So isn't that sweet? This as opposed to usually we hear these stories like actually he was a monster he ruined my life so it's nice to actually know that this person seems like a pretty pretty good guy the good news is though is that and this is just coincident we didn't we don't know this was going to be happening when we did the schedule at the beginning of the year there's a massive re-release blu-ray packaging of demons and demons 2 that's coming out I'm looking in at October it now, and it's and this thing great. has got you want it's got multiple audio commentaries including uh, commentary by Bava. It's going to have a bunch of behind-the-scenes interviews with Argento, Bava, um, the composers of the both movies. If you want more information on Demons, even I'm going to be picking this up, I feel like. This is going to be pretty incredible. And by the way, the artwork is also excellent. Um, just go search it. I think it's... Is it Synapse Productions? Or Synapse... I think they were the ones that were releasing right. this. Yeah, they did right. the original Blu-ray releases. So. Yeah, so they're going to be... Um, putting that out and I cannot wait to see it, but I just want the reproduction yeah. of that Metropole ticket. That's on there. That's in there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. That's so good. And then a, a big reason that Argento did this is also because he hadn't really produced a movie without directing or writing it since I think Dawn of the Dead, I believe at that point. And for him and Phenomena was coming out and he was looking to kind of get back into the production of things. So that's my big thing on Argento. Uh, now, granted, while this thing definitely has Argento's fingerprints all over it, as a matter of fact, several members would go on to work on opera, which I believe was Argento's next movie after this, as a matter of fact. But the major difference is, and we can talk about the style of Lamberto Bava versus Argento, and this is not a pejorative when I say this at all. I think that with Argento, the big difference is, is that there's a kind of elegance with his movies, even the most graphic movies. And I don't think there's a lot of, and I mean this, again, this is not pejorative. There's not a lot of elegance to be found in Demons. You're kind of just, like you said, Mac, earlier, it says Dario Argento presenta, we're on the subway, bam, music kicks in, the movie is underway, here we go. I think you can bring it down to, like, not all Italian horror films are giallo, but all giallo are Italian horror films. There you go, that's good, that's good. That's good. Yeah, sure. Because they, the, the, I think a lot of people get that misconstrued. Like, I don't think they need me to sit here and tell them that. But I do, like, like something like Suspiria, I don't consider to be a giallo, necessarily. But it is an Italian horror film. 
but they I think get once you have any supernatural element, it's no longer Giallo. I it's just that's, I don't care if I don't care if it's a, a if it's a serial killer who happens to be a witch. Sorry, it's it's now it's not Giallo anymore for me. It's See, else. I don't know if I can say that completely because if it has all the elements in it, but then it's only revealed that they're a witch in maybe the third act. I think it could still qualify as a giallo. If it's a witch walking around in like a black trench coat and a fedora. <laughs> it's black revealed. gloves. Yeah, black gloves, of course. And then, oh, I've got a broom or something oh. like that. And then here we uh, go. Dick Tracy, one of my favorite giallo. <laughs> wait, wait, what? The? Oh, because of the trench coat? Look at the villain. Look at the blank. Yeah, Look at the all blank. the colors. The blank. You, oh, tell the me blank. That, you, tell me that, you tell me that's not a giallo, or at least inspired <laughs> by you know why it's not, though? Because for me, a Giallo movie, the person has to be killing people with a knife. And I think that the blank in Dick Tracy... By the way, drink again if you, if you knew that we'd be talking about <laughs> 1990s or 1989's Dick Tracy in the first... It's 90. Minutes. You were right. 90. Okay, I apologize. Um, that, that, the blank's using guns. He's blackmailing people. I need, a, I need a knife to be used. That's my take. Now, when I say elegance, I, it's hard to... I don't want to say there's no style to this movie because there is a lot of style and there's a lot of great shots. and The atmosphere is amazing. But uh, it's more of a, a freight train movie, and, and I think that's why it's such a rewatchable movie in that regard too. Rachel, what do you what do you think about that take? No, I agree. I think he's kind of, you know, he's to me, it's sort of in the realm of Fulci and Argento, mm. like pulling elements from all those things to kind of make his own unique thing. But it's just so fun. Like that's kind of my overall takeaway from a lot of Bava's stuff is just kind of fun and energetic, yeah. and you know. I think Argento stuff, you know, at its best, you know, it's atmospheric and it's moody and it's beautiful. And I don't know if I would necessarily use those words to describe, <laughs> exactly. you know, demons, but that's not a bad thing. It's just no, a different no. style. And so he kind of, you know, cherry picks little elements from all of these great Italian directors and makes something totally his own, which I think is wonderful. Yeah, because I wonder if a lot of people, when they see that Dario Gento's involved, think this is some type of a ghost-directed movie in some ways. But um, there's also a good interview with with him, with with Argento, and they talk about demons a little bit. And he does say that the, the, the thing that he likes to do when he's just producing a movie is to know that he's got a, the movie in good hands. And that Bava can put his own stamp on it. Because at the end of the day, I think the thing is, right, theater is an actor's medium and the movies are a director's medium, you know? And I think to me, this feels like somebody directed it other than Argento. That feels like yes. a question. This is a Lumberto Baffa movie. Yeah. I um, just want to give him a shout out in that regard. Mac, what do you think? <laughs> about Bava? <laughs> yeah. What do you think about the direction of this movie? Oh, I think it's, it's one of a kind. I think it's brilliantly directed. Again, it's again like we were saying. When you go into it, you're just kind of thinking, oh, "This is just going to be like, you know, okay." And you walk out, you're just like, "Wow, that was a vision!" <laughs> like that was like, <laughs> it, oh, I was likening it to uh, adaptation yesterday <laughs> because you go in thinking <laughs> it's this, and then by the end, it becomes everything that like you know a horror film and beyond. Like like such a it's such a. Um, like a caricature of itself at the end, but but you love the you love it. <laughs> like, well, one of the early so strip funny. versions, um, it's pretty much the demons appear far earlier, and it really is just a big demon fest for ninety minutes. But as Mike I'm Mike Vanderbilt, I'm putting you on the spot, but you, you know about this, especially that era of Italian cinema. They loved 
as much action as possible. Put action in comedies, put action in westerns, put action in dramas, and put action in horror movies. Hence the incredible finale of George motorcycling for five minutes around the movie theater and chopping off the heads of demons with a sword. I mean, that's that was a major addition, you know? Something I, something I learned on a Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers podcast, and I, I never noticed this, but it makes a lot of sense that the thing about Italian cinema is that the reason like they have the music always blast before these bits, big bits of action or horror is because the whole point of going into the movies was you would sit and drink wine and talk with your friends during all the boring parts. Uh-huh. And then they needed to announce something that, okay, now you need to pay attention. And that made a <laughs> lot of Giallo and a lot of Argento stuff make a lot more sense to me. That makes, and even when you think about his cut of Dawn of the Dead is pretty much stripped of a lot of act, of a lot of drama because he just want to get all to all the action stuff that all the Italian audiences at the time were really really receptive to, right? You know, and they weren't really interested in, in and I love all the drama stuff in Dawn of the Dead, which I think is what sets it apart from so many other movies. But they weren't really interested in a lot of the the struggling the scenes like the Bergman scenes from a marriage portion of Dawn of the Dead. They weren't too into that. They're like, let's get to more of the zombies getting killed at the mall, and let's get to the bikers, you know, that, that type of thing. But uh, so something else important about Demons, like I said, it was a success. And it led to sequel. We can talk, let's talk a little bit about Demons 2, because I don't think we're ever going to have a three-hour podcast on Demons 2. No I, shots fired. You know, knock on wood, because it's said wood. it now. Yeah. Season I, I think 20. We, we easily could. <laughs> My 60th birthday, we'll be doing Demons 2. Uh, Demons 2, you know, it's, I, I like it. To, it's kind of in the same realm as... Evil Dead 2, and oh god, there's some other movie I want to make a comp to, where it's a sequel, but in many ways it's just kind of a, a remake because you've yeah. got like Return, Return of the Living again. Dead 2. Return of the Living Dead 2, that's exactly what I want to talk about. That's right. Because Return of the Living Dead 2 is basically just a slightly bigger budgeted remake of Return of the Living Dead. You know, you've got the same actors coming back. Granted, they're playing technically different characters, but they've got the same characteristics. Demons 2 is no exception. We'll talk about some of the cast members who come back in part two playing totally different people, but part two takes place in a high rise. And instead of the demons coming through the movie screen, they come through the TV. I've been kind of up and down on this movie over the years, but I think I'm kind of back up again. I think, well, first of all, I was lucky enough to see it at the music box theater during their uh, music box of horrors a couple of years ago. And that was a lot of fun to see that with yeah. the crowd. I think it's a good crowd movie, just like Demons is. But you know, rewatching it last night, I was like, you know, "This is actually pretty good." I think it's a pretty good movie. I don't think it's as good as Demons. And I realize I think the, a major reason for that is the score in Demons is so much better than the score in Demons Two, in my opinion. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that all three of you have seen Demons Two. Rachel, have you seen Demons Two? Oh yeah, I got my Demons Two shirt on. <laughs> oh, I'm ready. Wait, what's on? Is that the kid? Yeah, it's yeah that, it, that's the original box art that yeah. I remember seeing. Yeah, with the Sally in the in the hallway or the, in yeah. the door, which is a, so, that, that's a great moment in the movie too. By the way, oh for sure. Yeah, that yeah. that's a I, that scene haunts me still. Actually, it's good. yeah, Demons too. It felt like you mentioned all these script writers, right? So mm-hmm. it, it felt like they had multiple scripts, mm-hmm. and so they made Demons, and then they're like, "Well, we got this other version. Yeah. I don't know. Let's make that <laughs> with more stairways." 
Yeah, more stairways and yeah, just put some of these same actors in and hey, they don't even have to learn new lines. Like they can just say the exact same things and just, you know, instead of like the theater door, now it's a garage door and just like, (laughs) you know, just slightly alter their dialogue just barely. But why not? And we'll still have the lead hunk lose his sleeves later on in the movie. You know, they will be the same, the same thing. We have the the hotties going on in these movies. (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed. (laughs) Vanderbilt, you're... Your thoughts on Demons 2? I haven't watched it in a long time, but I definitely watched it like right after I had watched the original and liked it fine, but did not think it was as good as the original. Yeah, I would but agree. Maybe I'm due for a rewatch on that one. Like I said, it's probably been about 20 years since I watched Demons 2. Oh, yeah, it's on Shudder. Much like Demons, it's a, it's a nice, lean, mean 90 minutes. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed my rewatch of it last night. And I watched it late, too. It was just a good rewatch. Even solo, it was good. Mac, I know you've definitely seen Demons 2. We saw it at uh, Music Box of Horrors. Yeah, I, I actually love part two. I love one and two. Uh, and it goes in that order, but not by much. I mean, I think two is, uh, you know, it's like aliens to alien. Like, the, it's just we're going to go even, you know, the high-rise idea is fun. Uh, the the monster makeup in that is fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. I love the ending. I, I, I was just saying before we started the episode, why part three never came to fruition. And I know we're going to talk about that in a second, mm-hmm. but I just think it's such an easy premise. You, you know, like the first one's a theater, second one's TV. Where do you go next? Like, and with cell phones and tablets and all that kind of stuff, it could just be happening anywhere. I think that's almost too easy now to do. I'm a kind of like challenge whoever's going to make this, this next one, which will no doubt be called demons and, uh, <laughs> not talk about, you know, I, I, I hate I hate this 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 trend of like the remake slash reboot is just the name of the original. It's it's going to get so confusing for people in twenty thirty years when there's like five movies all called the same thing, not all loosely based on the same movie, but kind of a sequel. It's just like just do something totally new, please, you know, or just make it straight up a sequel, even if it's a subtitle at the very bottom of the poster <laughs> underneath the credits. <laughs> I I agree that the 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 IP the SEO of it all. It's so confusing after a while. So they just want people's eyes to just be attached to the the name. They don't want anything complicated. Yeah. Just but it's Halloween, Halloween, scream, scream, scream again. Mac, you mentioned sequels. Now this is going to be a lot of fun because for those in the know and those not, Demons technically only has two movies in the franchise, unless you live in other countries and unless you listen to other production companies because. And I got a lot of this information. You can get it pretty much anywhere. I mean, it's all out there. It's not like this is some big mystery. But I went to Hypnotic Crescendo's blog spot. I'm not sure if that's still is being run, but it's got a pretty great breakdown. So, folks, if you'll bear with me, and please feel free to interject with additional facts as I run through the nine movies nine. in the Demons <laughs> series. Get ready. All right, let's De- hear it. Demons, we know of. Yeah. Demons 2, 1986. Uh And here is where it gets crazy. Because according to the different companies and studios, there are three Demons 3s. What? There are three Demons 3s. I I know of two, but what's the third? Well, here we go. Yeah. (laughs) 1988. The Ogre, a.k.a. Demons 3, The Ogre, directed by Lumberto Bava. Here's the thing. Granted, it was called that because they wanted to capitalize on Lumberto Bava coming off of Demons 1 and 2. 
Let's call it Demons 3. Here's the problem. There are no demons <laughs> in Demons 3, the ogre. Are there any ogres? There is. It's as the title promises once again. There is a ogre. The ogre. There's one ogre. So there's not even a plurality involved. Yet it's called Demons 3. So that's a problem. What's even more confusing is that in Germany... The Ogre is called Ghost House 2, and it's marketed as a sequel to Umberto Lindsay's Ghost House. Now, keep the name Umberto Lindsay in mind. Okay. Keep that in mind. Don't forget it. And I, I feel like Ghost House has some history in being a pseudo-sequel, yes? To something else, to another film. That will be season eight of Halloweenies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the next Oh, by the way, that's Demons 3 with Roman numerals, even though Demons 2 is not Roman numerals. Okay. okay. Perfect. And now we're back to just plain old boring numerals. Demons 3, The Church, 1989. Now, this actually did technically start off its production as Demons 3 um, before they kind of went another direction with it. Basically, Demons in the Church. Argento produced this one. He did not produce The Ogre. And a filmmaker by the name of Michel Soavi directed it. Keep that name in mind for later. That's, that's very important. And it's basically called... It's still called Demons 3, The Church, and other countries, notably Japan. Keep that country in mind. Okay, here we go. We're sticking with the number three with Demone 3, Black Demons, 1991. Umberto Lindsay directed this movie. So there we go. And that's the home video title is Demone 3. Again, Lindsay directed Ghost House, which the ogre was marketed as. Now, is, Dem- is Demoni 3 like a demon-filled actual It is, legit to sequel? be fair. To be fair, if they, it, it's actually called Demoni 3 Black Demons. I don't think that would uh, go over very well today, especially when I read you the plot. After attending a voodoo ceremony in Rio... Oh, God. Here we go. A U.S. college student develops powers and resurrects executed slaves. No. Uh... <laughs> How, how far is that pitch going? Now, this is an Italian uh, horror. Yes, director? this is an Italian okay. horror film. Umberto Lindsay, oh, not from man. Connecticut. Definitely not from Connecticut. Oh God! Um, so there's your. No. <laughs> so there's your thir- Umberto. Oh my God! So there's no your wonder third we haven't heard of part this. three. Yeah. Now we're on to Demons Four: The Sect, 1991, which is a, it's kind of a sequel to The Church because it's also directed by Michel Suave, who directed The Church. And a lot of religious undertones as opposed to the first two demons. Okay, we're good, 1991? Okay. That's 1991, the same year that Demone 3 Black Demons came out, by the way. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Let's go back in time to 1989 for Demons 5. Oh. What? I don't know. Despite being released before the other Part 3 and 4 entries, this is somehow known as Part 5 in some countries. Well, it's like the Fast and the Furious movies, maybe. Yeah. Time is it, a construct, you guys. It's it just... really, it's a nightmare is what it is. For Demons fans, apparently. <laughs> so Demons 5, The Devil's Veil. Um, now, this has got similar themes to The Church, directed by Michel Suave, but... Had a really cool poster, too. It but does. Came, and, but it came out before The Church? Same year as the church. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Same year. But, but part five. Okay. This was directed by Lamberto Bava. Huh. Bava's back. Bava, Bava, Bava's back for the. Bava's back. <laughs> the seventh demons movies known as Demons Five. Okay, here we go. Next up, same year, nineteen eighty-nine. So part six, Demons Six: The Black Cat comes out in nineteen eighty-nine. Two years before Demone Three: Black Demons comes out in nineteen ninety-one. 
And this, for a long time, was actually viewed as an unofficial sequel to Dario Argento's Suspiria and Inferno, because it's got some witch themes. Hmm. And this movie does see the return of Demons actor Urbano Barberini, who plays George in Demons. So, hmm. here we go. Let's round it off, folks, with Demons 95, Della Morte, Della Moare, a.k.a., this is probably the best known of all these movies, Cemetery Man. Um, it's a horror comedy directed by, again, Michelle Soavi, who we've talked about several times. And Rupert... I believe Everett. special effects by Sergio Stivaletti, who did, go, who uh, did effects on Demon. Demons, that's right. And I think Rupert Everett is in this film. It's pretty good. Yes. It's actually kind of well-regarded, actually. Yeah. I think it's based on a comic book series. Yes, that's correct. An Italian is... comic book series, a Dylan Dog, right? So, and Dylan Dog was later made into a movie with, um, what's his name? Uh, Brandon Routh, right? Brandon Routh, yeah, that's right. right. Years later. There you have it, folks. There are, if you really want to track them down, <laughs> you've got nine Demons movies to enjoy coming in on different. Oh, oh, by the way, what's even more confusing, it's called Demons 95, Della Morte, Della More, and it came out in 1994. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and to go back, uh, Ghost House was uh, sometimes perceived as or released as Evil Dead 3. And what's oh, funny is, it, what seems like this, <laughs> the upcoming Evil Dead 3 movie, Evil Dead Rises, sounds like Demons 2. It does, <laughs> yeah. It takes place in an apartment complex. Yeah, so let's see. We are through the looking glass, we people. We are really yeah. through looking glass. We're going to have to get like some of that red string and make like our little like, conspir- our Demons is, sequel conspiracy I'll, board. I'll have, to re- I'll have to remount that Loki post I did the other day about the, de- the Demons branches of the franchise and the many <laughs> yeah, different roads seriously. you can take for Demons. Um, but listen, to be fair, when you give it, when you have a title as simple as Demons, you're going to be ripped off. You're going you're gonna to have that attached you know, to everything possible. I, that is something I have always appreciated about Italian cinema is the the brazen the brazenness yes. of the ripoffs. I love it. We talked about that in the last episode with uh, yeah. Jaws, Killer Jaws, or whatever. You know, it's just it's uh, the Last Shark, which is going to come up shark. again on this episode. I think. Wow, the Last Shark will return. You know, before we started recording, I was telling Mac about porno, <laughs> the movie porno. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fangoria <laughs> release. <laughs> and by this logic, that movie is totally a demon sequel. Oh, oh there we, we go. We have 10 movies now. <laughs> yeah, so I I mean, using the same world and the, the small thin threads that are connecting some of these movies, the themes in that movie, it could be argued that that is the 10th and most recent installment in the demons franchise. So if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to watch it and look at it from that lens. Um, is it take place in the, Oh, you know what? I've heard about this. And you're right. place in the movie theater yeah. has demons, uh, a demon coming out through the movie and terrorizing the people who are trapped in the theater. <laughs> What's funny is it doesn't even take place at a porno theater. No, okay. just a regular theater. Just a regular it's just a regular theater, theater that used to be. They, the kids oh. find out that it used to be like screened, um, a screening theater for porn. So, Well, you heard it here first, folks. Check out porno <laughs> as soon as you possibly can and whenever you can. <laughs> um, well, let's, so listen, if you haven't even seen this for some reason, but you just like to listen to our voices, first of all, thank you. But let's talk about why we are doing Demons because, look, this takes place at the movie theater, and the iconic scene in Scream 2 takes place at a the movie theater. And more importantly, there's a scene where a victim stands up in front of the screen as the movie is playing, and 
dies or you know ceases to become human or ceases to be human and becomes a demon. So my yeah. question to the three of you, to once again put you right on the spot, is how many great horror movies are set at a movie theater? Now, Rachel, you actually mentioned one that we could look back on in years and say, hey, porno was pretty great, the movie. What about... <laughs> What about anything else that comes to mind that takes now, place at a movie theater? Are we talking whole movies set in theaters or scenes within theaters? Because you can do like, like Fade to Black, right? That, that, there's a section mm-hmm. of that that takes place in the movie theater. But I'm, I'm uh, trying to think of a movie that really takes place for the majority of it at a movie theater. And not a horror movie, but matinee. Matinee, Joe Dante's matinee. Very good. Popcorn. The majority Popcorn. of the movie? Popcorn. Popcorn. Oh, awesome. Yeah. One of my absolute favorites. What a gem that movie is. I can't think of that takes place in the majority at a movie theater. There was um that anthology, that recent anthology where like the wraparound story was um set oh, in theater. Nightmare Cinema. Nightmare Cinema. Yes. Yeah. Joe Dante, Joe Dante joint. Yeah. And I believe wasn't Mickey Rourke the Cryptkeeper? Yes, kind of? he was. Mm-hmm. Uh the Tingler. That's yeah, well, and the Tingler famously was it William Castle, right? Yes. Yeah. And they would have buzzers under your seats. Yeah, I, get, I mean it's revolving around. Yeah, yeah. And funny enough, uh, matinee oh. Joe Dunn's matinee is basically based on a William Castle type. There you go. That's wait a minute. You know, what I wanted to say really quickly about the Scream parallel is I thought it was really funny because in Scream Two, essentially, you know. Uh, the victim is on stage, you know, Jade is on stage screaming and no one's paying attention to her for a lot, for a good bit. And then they finally are like, oh, yeah, but <laughs> in demons, I love how Carmen she's... goes up there and everyone immediately, oh, as soon as she tears through the theater, I guess it's a little bit different, but everybody, all the, the like, you know, 20 people are in the theater are like, oh crap, and they rush to her aid immediately and like are really concerned and like get involved. <laughs> it's just like differences of the of the era of uh, modern audiences are jaded, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think also <laughs> the, the, screen involved. Two, the Scream 2 screening or the stab screening in Scream 2 is, is much more. Of like a party atmosphere. I feel like people are running around right, and screaming right. around and probably didn't take it seriously either. Um, but there's a movie I just remembered and it's, it's actually, I believe it's on Shudder now and it's Messiah of Evil. Uh, by Willard Hyuk and Gloria Katz. Who famously, or infamously in some cases, wrote Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh. And <laughs> I know Randall Colburn from the Losers Club watched this a couple months ago and actually recommended it, strongly recommended it. I, you know what? I'm not going to put strong in, in his mouth, but he definitely said you should check it out. You know, I'm going to start tweeting it. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is a horror film, and that's why you should love it. I think that's going to be my new. I mean, it is a horror film. I think about die on. Listen, people's hearts are getting ripped out and they're living. You know, I mean, we, actually, I, I just noticed that a lot of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom could have been reappropriated in Demoni Three Black Demons, directed by Umberto <laughs> Lindsay. Sounds like they could have done some of that. Um, it's funny, because this is the first entry we were doing where Demons is actually not referenced at all in any of the Scream movies. Um, I thought it would definitely be mentioned in Scream 2, but it was not. I'm not sure if maybe Lamberto Bava had a big falling out with Kevin Williamson along the way. I doubt that's the case at all. You know, there's this, uh, you talk about horror movies set in movie theaters. I have not seen this one, but I was doing research, and it's not the same anguish that you and I were talking about the other day, Justin. But anguish from 1987. Oh, uh, angst, from, you mean? 
Oh, oh, yeah, it was angst. Okay, well, this one's anguish, and it's from '87, and it's got Zelda Rubinstein and Michael Lerner, and it's by Spanish director Biggest Luna, and it sounds kind of cool. Zelda Rubinstein is from Poltergeist, right? Indeed. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. That's all I got. That's all we got. But anyway, I love the idea. I love the idea of of, of horror taking place at a, at a movie theater where people are trapped in. I just don't. I'm, I'm surprised. I'll tell you, Rachel's right there with popcorn. Popcorn's one we got to do for the show. I, yeah. I, I'm surprised. Who, who I mean, the popcorn again? Didn't somebody of note direct that or? Well, it's I got uh, Brad swear. Pitt's ex-girlfriend in it. Uh, I always mess her name up. Um, Jill? Jill. And I, I, so... Well, we're really knowledgeable here. No, but... <laughs> oh, Jill Sherlin? Sherlin. There we go. Look, I didn't, I didn't have to look that up. All right? I knew that. Alan um, Olmsby uh, wrote and directed it. Uh, that's Oh, I know. Oh, Olmsby. You know who that is? That is a Bob Clark collaborator. Yes. Yes, he is. That's right. Uh, Notable for his uh, wild striped pants in a lot of photos you saw of him. And of course, you know that. Oh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And Ormsby is the name of the main dead person in Bob Clark's Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. We're back, folks. We're back on the look at our knowledge. Look how smart we are. We got all under control here. Well, Justin, I was going to say, I don't think that. It's like, I mean, you were saying, why aren't there more horror films set in a movie theater where you can't escape, et cetera, et cetera. I just think because of recent events and things, they just started oh, steering yeah, away. I think they started steering away from any kind of horror or anything happening at events that they want people to go to these places yeah. to, to watch these things or, or experience these events. And uh, sadly, that's just the state of the world. But well, um, I think it is a great now. construct, though, yeah. Like when they're trying to, like so hard to get people to come back, yeah. Don't expect to see you know <laughs> terror running rampant terror in movie theaters theater. anytime soon. Thanks for coming True. back. You're all dead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let, I want to talk about this too. There is. Um, did you notice all the the movie posters that are in the lobby? Yeah. Love this. I also loved how they were just like thumbtacked to the wall of this like fancy. Oh table. yeah. Like, they weren't like in frames or anything. Yeah. I feel like, like they were like, like a teenager's like, bedroom. Right before Baba said action, he went, "Oh my god, there's no there's no posters." Um. So here, let me know if I missed anything. I think there was. Well, I know for a fact there was four flies on gray velvet. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, the only Dario Argento movie from like 1972 to 1990 that I have not seen. Never saw it. Hmm. Anybody seen that? Yeah, Mm-mm. you should see it. Is it good? I yeah, I enjoy it. All right, all right. Do we get to see all four flies? All four flies <laughs> all right, on sure. gray velvet. <laughs> Wait, no nukes. Which I, was that a concert? It was a documentary. Yeah. Yes, it right? was. Okay, uh, that's where um, it used to be a staple of classic rock radio of Jackson Brown covering "Stay" came from that one. Covering "Stay," uh, "Stay" uh, just a little bit longer. Oh, the old, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think mm-hmm. 60s tune. Yeah. Jackson Brown did a really great cover uh, with Phoebe Bridgers of her song Kyoto with Philip Glass on piano. And it's really good. It's on YouTube. Check it out, everybody. I noticed Werner Herzog's Nosferatu poster was up there. Very good movie. So good. Five stars. Terrifying. Yeah. Yes. Great, 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 great score. Great use of music in that movie, too. A movie that called metropolis I'm, I'm, it's a famous movie i was being a little sarcastic 
famous silent film. It's been redone many times with, I think there was one version of it that was done with Queen well, as the background music. This right? is the, the poster for this one is the one with the Georgia Marauder soundtrack. Right. Okay. Which makes, hey, let's keep it Italian. Yeah. Um, the Terminator, was, did I see the Terminator poster? I didn't see the Terminator. I didn't see that. Maybe this is a Mandela effect situation. I could have sworn I saw the Terminator poster, like the first poster it's that possible. we see. It's possible. It's possible. Mm. That was just Michelle Suave in the Phantom of the Opera mask you saw. You know that's correct. what I love? And though, <laughs> we'll talk, this, he also shows up in another scene in this movie that's important, too. Uh, is the idea that everything's pinned to the wall and all that stuff. But when Frank and Ruth walk in, he's like, oh, someone must have sent a, like, a ton of money into this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, oh, they had thumbtacks. Well, I think because uh, they know that's the motorcycle mannequin with a sword. They were like, wow, this thing must have cost <laughs> yeah, a fortune. Yeah, right. And... There's an ACDC poster. I think they had a concert film around that time. Uh, for Let There Be Rock was the film. Mm. At least that's what it suggested that it's probably. Now, from. that's the song for those of for those of you about to Let There Be Rock, We Salute You, right? Isn't that the name of that song? Yes. Okay, so I want to make sure I got it right. I'm kidding. Okay. We love the movies. We love cinema just as much as the people who poured all that money into the Metropole. <laughs> well, we got to move on to our next section in which we're going to discuss whether or not People followed Randy's rules from Scream, in a section that we ingeniously, cleverly titled, What Are the Rules? 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 So once again, let's, let's go over the rules here, folks. So for Scream, here are the three rules that Randy gives out. You can never have sex. You can never drink or do drugs. Never, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Now, I got to say, I feel like all three of these rules were broken by various people. Let's start off at the top. Mike Vanderbilt. I'm not telling this to you. This is just a rule. You can never have sex. Who, me? Who, I, just, I just told you I'm not saying this to you. All right, don't take offense. Now, who in this movie broke this rule? Uh, who had sex? Or more or less had sex, let's be honest. Oh, um... I don't. I thought, why am I having a hard time remembering? I don't know who was it. There, well, there was like the the lady, the, the niece of the the blind guy. There you go. Like met oh, up with her. Right. Uh, I think I guess it was her boyfriend. I'm assuming it wasn't just a random stranger who sat down next yeah, to her. Yeah, exactly. But they sneak <laughs> off and. I yeah, love. Man. I love an IMDb. He's credited as as uh, Liz's lover. That's Doesn't right. have her name. Too. Doesn't lover. have the dignity. Officially, so lover. we know they were. Yeah. If they hadn't, they they already were in the process of doing that. <laughs> and I don't want to judge. I never want to judge, but I think mm-hmm. I will assume that Tony, Rosemary, and Carmen had had sex at some point in their lives, or were having sex on the reg. Well, it it was implied that they were slightly the women implied. were prostitutes. Yeah, yes, so. slightly slightly implied. Slightly implied. <laughs> Just I, if you have to, you have to rewatch um, it a couple of times to really pick up on the fact that he was a pimp and they were yeah. prostitutes. You mean the character of Tony Frank. the pimp? Tony the pimp. Yes, wait, <laughs> yeah. Tony is isn't he just identified though as Tony, or is he actually identified as Tony the pimp? It, in, I believe he's in, listed on IMDb as Tony the pimp. Yeah, in parentheses, mm-hmm. I believe. Now we'll I'm talk about sure. him later, but I believe that actor passed away about a year ago. And let's give some major shout outs to him because it's a memorable role. Okay, oh, here's man, the next one. Super There's memorable. also a short film called uh, Tony the Pimp. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Uh, the famous character from Demon Saga comes back after 25 years of silence. He's recruiting new girls for his business when he stumbles upon various dodgy characters and also a long-lost twin brother. Wait a minute. Does the actor come back? 
Bobby Rhodes appears as Tony the Pimp. Oh my God. So, I've got so, to see this. Demon oh, Single. No. There's 11. Another 11 <laughs> movies. We've Holy got our, our fourth Demons entry, unless this is actually a sequel to. No, because this could technically be a sequel to Demons, because Demons 2, he's not playing Tony. He's playing a different character. So that's right. Let's that's mess right. up the timeline a little bit more. But is he playing a different character? Is he really? Well, because <laughs> unless it's a prequel, maybe it's doesn't a prequel. Bobby. Well, Bobby Rhodes shows up in Demons too. As yes, well, he is. Yeah. He's a as he's, Hank. But does he Hank say the, smash everything? Smash everything. Um, I love Tony in this movie. <laughs> you know what I like about so Tony good, Tony is you can really see his skills as a pimp come through <laughs> in the film when he takes on that leadership role. He does. Oh, he's like this is how we do things here. It's funny if you if you go to Google, you type in Tony the. The first thing that pops up is Tiger, but the second thing is Pimp. Uh, so you can all t- test it out later on. I think he's a lot of people's favorite character from this film. Now, hold I've... on. We're getting ahead of ourselves now. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, <laughs> all here's the, the rules. Here's the next one. And oh, here we go. You can never drink or do drugs. Well, folks, oh. I'd like to introduce you to the 39-minute mark of Demons. When all hell is just broken loose to the theater... And we cut to a lot of interstitial scenes with punks. Oh my gosh! Um, let's talk what. about it. Let's talk about it here. The, the, the cocaine in the coke can is ingenious. I'd like to think it's <laughs> trying to say something about American consumerism. I, you know, I'd like Ab- to think absolutely. That. You know, it is. It is right. <laughs> I can't imagine they were like when you look at the rest of this scene where they're eventually like spilling the coke and they've got to clean up and like one of the guys is dragging a razor along. With Nina, Nina's mm-hmm. nipples and breasts, and I'm sure Bob was like, "We've got to talk about consumerism and the mall structure <laughs> of America. It's the mid '80s, Reaganomics, the nuclear war. We got to talk about the, the wall coming down in five years." No, I, I think this is just a, a funny bit. But listen, these people are definitely drinking and doing drugs. My question to you is, because I know Nina dies and becomes a demon. We, at one point, we see the, the remaining three surviving punks being cornered in the movie theater. Do we see them die? Not really. They just right? kind of no. get like piled on. And then you do see them later in later scenes Ripper? as demons. Okay. I couldn't remember if you see oh. Ripper again later on. Yeah. The, the I, this scene is literally one of my favorite things like in life when they're in the car. Like, you know, there's a lot of times where it's, I think, like, you know, I live a pretty life and you know there's a lot of exciting things that have happened but then again i've never like been driving around in a car wearing like computer chip earrings mm-hmm. doing coke out of a coke can listening to billy idol it's like white wedding like i've never lived that life and i just like it's just like the ultimate most amazing thing to me and this is a scene that you would never get these days oh no what's great about in demons too again but we'll talk about it's the music choices level, though, oh yeah yes. yeah we'll talk about the controversial music choices of the these uh, supposed punks and what music they ended up listening to on their car ride <laughs> yeah. shortly. Uh, yeah, what, what a scene and what an interesting decision to have this, these people introduced right in the middle of the horror actually breaking out. I just love that it was such a jarring experience to kind of go back and forth between the demons taking over the theater and then Ripper yelling at them for spilling coke in the car. It's, just, it's a wild I'm- thing. 
I'm entirely convinced that this whole these whole characters, everything about these characters just was implemented to extend the runtime, but I don't care. Like I'm I am here, here for I'm, it. I'm in it. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, wild. it's such yeah. a random thing to happen because for the first couple of times we see them, it's so disconnected from the main story. It's just like why are we following these guys around in a car around the city? Like they, they, they're just wandering around. Like they don't, they, there's no connection. They don't know anybody at the theater. It's just no. like, why are we jumping to these people all of a sudden? It ultimately it really it makes works. sense because they're the ones who go into the theater and that's how the demons are able to get out. Basically. Right. You right. Know? You know, there's, a, there's another way inside. Yeah, exactly. So, now, Justin, okay. are, are, have you, and I don't remember if we did this for the last movie we did, we covered in relation to scream Two, but did we cover the scream two rules? We didn't because this is not a sequel. Right, but I think this still applies. Mm, I don't know. I don't think we can do it. But it, it's Scream 2, though, so I feel like you still can yeah, apply but those the rules. Scream 2, but that only applies to the rules to horror sequels. That's what he says in the movie. <laughs> right. He says in the well, movie. Well, <laughs> then, okay, yeah, all right. Well, well then, I guess, I, guess, I guess, folks, someone's going to have to get us to do Demons 2. Demons 2. <laughs> Demons 2. There you go. Well, what did you have, Mike? What was it? I'm curious. No, no, I just think that they all apply. I think the the, the body count is huge in this movie. Yeah, I but think the body that... count has to be bigger. Uh, all bigger right, all right. you made your point. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. There we go. That's what I'm saying. Um, okay, Mac, here's a question for you. Yeah. In this movie, because the rule is never, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Does it happen in this movie? I mean, I think it more or less happens. I think... Maybe not those exact words. Off screen, we, we, well, no, 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 because uh, Werner doesn't seem to know that Liz left. I want to no. say that Liz maybe said that as she <laughs> went off to go, like, mess around with her lover. But I don't think, I don't think it's explicitly stated. Does anyone else I don't remember, remember hearing that? I think so. And I actually think, like, they try to stick together. Like, even, like, George and, you know, the two, yeah. the two girls, like, they actually... They never like leave them and are like stay here. Like I don't think that actually ever. Happens. Sometimes I, people get split oh, that's up. The but they... power of, that's the power of uh, persuasive pimping from Tony the pimp. He First of all, oh. alliteration on point again there with the persuasive pimping. What was it? The powerful power persuasive, persuasive pimping. pimping. Yes, terrific. But uh, the other the so Rosemary goes to the bathroom because she's that's bleeding, and then her friend tells. You're right. So he, she does leave and basically says, like, I'll be right back. I'm going to go check on her. Yes. And then that's basically and then that. He's the both very first victim. And then she goes on stage and does the whole, you know, Scream 2 thing. So there you go. See, you go. it goes back to Scream 2. There we go. So, yeah, people were breaking rules left and right in this thing. What can I say? Okay. Let's move on to our next category, which should be a lot of fun. And which we're going to talk about the songs and the scores of Demons. It's a section we call I Think I Love You. Congratulations to Jerry O'Connell, who was just announced as one of the new co-hosts of The Talk. Oh, man. Congratulations. Paycheck, paycheck, right? Hey, that's a pretty steady gig, and I'm sure you'll get paid a lot of money for it, so good job. Congratulations. A bit of Jerry O'Connell trivia that I didn't get to bring up on uh, the Scream 2 episode. Uh, His mother used to teach Beetlejuice from the Howard Stern show, like at school. Yeah. There you go. Deep cut. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's talk about he was a good this. student he was a good student <laughs> that's very good to good, good for being uh, i can finally um, sleep sleep at night the person who did the score for this movie is a name that might not be ultimately familiar to a casual viewer but i know this person 
Adio Simonetti, one of the founding members of Goblin. Now, Goblin worked on several Dario Argento movies over the years. Obviously, Suspiria. Simonetti worked on Tenebre, which is kind of a... It's basically a Goblin score, but I think they couldn't legally use the name Goblin. There's some Goblin de Gook uh, <laughs> stuff going on. Sometimes credited... Wow. Thank you. Sometimes credited as the Goblins. For a film called Dawn of the Dead. The Dawn of the Dead. Now, Dustin, I have a question. We, mm. We've seen a couple of live performances of we Goblin have. playing their score to Suspiria, and then also... Mm-hmm. But it wasn't Goblin. But it Mac, was I'm it glad Claudio you asked the question. for. And what Here was we go. It? I can't remember the movie. Was it The Beyond? We saw Goblin playing their first ever U.S. shows. Now that was with Simonetti and the rest of the, the okay, founding right. lineup, except for the bassist, I believe, at the time. And not the Metropole, but the Metro in Chicago. Then we saw Claudio Simonetti's Goblin, which is Claudio Simonetti and a new band, live do the score for Suspiria, which was pretty awesome. And then we saw Goblin, which is which were all the original members except for Claudio Simonetti, at the um, Italia Hall in Chicago. This is as confusing a timeline as the Demons <laughs> the film series. Sorry, yeah. right. like, now wait, what was the first one, Justin? We saw we saw the original Goblin lineup pretty much. But when we we saw the didn't we see the Beyond with live score as well? That's not that's, that's Fabio Fritzi. Fabio Fritzi. Oh, okay, that's not okay, that's right, Simonetti. that's right, that's right. We Man, see, I, yeah, but that was a great at the so how many <laughs> we've seen so many. <laughs> great score and great experience. Um, okay. I think I love the main theme, first of all. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, so good. So fucking good. <laughs> this here my hot take for the episode is you could argue this is like a top oof, this is a hot take. Oof. Top three or four Claudio Simonetti score. From top to bottom. I'm I'm saying in addition to the main score. There's a lot of just themes throughout the movie that keep popping up that are really, really good, really effective. Because even like with, with Suspiria, has got that amazing main theme, right? You know, the child, you know, doon, 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 doon. but this has a variety of music throughout that I can't really say that when it comes to a lot of other Goblin scores. So that's I, I love the, the soundtrack to this movie. What about I know, Rachel, you spent a lot of your time writing and, and interviewing composers. I know you obviously love film scores what's your take on this on the score in this movie oh i love this score and i think it's such an interesting kind of evolution in claudio simonetti's sound mm-hmm. you know because earlier in goblin you know they really got known for like their your their prog kind mm-hmm. of sound and a lot of like kind of funky elements which are amazing but this score is really the way it works with the hair metal too it's an interesting juxtaposition of like these hair metal bands and kind of this new wave scene and kind of where the music, the popular music world was at in 1985, which I think was really interesting. It was kind of in between and in flux and Simonetti really merges those sounds together really well versus like something like, I think like phenomena where it doesn't work as well. Um, to you got me Bill personally, Wyman. yeah, coming in. Um, and, some of the music oh yeah and just that it's just such good like synth pop sound to me it's so fun and mm. the even when it, you know down to the instruments he's using like i think he's using like a yamaha like dx7 like just these quintessential like 80s sounds and they're so good and clean and not really dated so even when you're listening to it now it doesn't necessarily sound as cheesy as some kind of other 80s 
soundtracks can sound. It holds up really well, I think. And he does, you can tell he spends a lot of time in it. And it almost, I I do wonder, it always kind of sounds like, which is interesting because it shows up later in Demons 2, the group Art of Noise. Mm. Um, kind of that more progressive kind of avant-garde synth pop stuff that they were doing. It, there's a lot of that in this one. And I don't know if he was influenced or it was just kind of a, a merging of, you know, what was happening in the world, but it's, yeah, it's an incredible score. And I think a real testament to what he was capable of doing on his own outside of Goblin. And he was always willing to kind of push what he was capable of and wasn't necessarily tied to that, you know, that prog sound that kind of built his name. That's a good take on that. And you mentioned the bridge and it's funny because just this movie is so full of hard rock, heavy metal. And then just a year later for goblins, for goblins. So for demons too, we're, now we're just into new wave because like yeah. the Smiths and, and the cult and, the, cult. and some other bands are in there. That, that cult song is great. Rain is great. Oh yeah. And just how it's used in that. And demon. Well, see, you got to do a demons two episode yeah. just so we I mean, can we, talk we about Sally. Do I'm, I'm there. The I'm there. Sally, yeah. the Sally stuff is so good too in that movie. Um, but let's, anyway, I think the score is terrific. Mac, I know you said one of your favorite parts is just demon being repeated over and over again. <laughs> It's a simple way. You don't see that these days. But when you pick up on it, you're like, oh, oh, oh he's saying demon. <laughs> Demons, you know, like, demon. Demon. Oh, it's man. just like, you so know, the Insusperia, too, how they're like, witch. Yeah, yeah. It's so simple, but you know what? God bless it. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love it. it. The, it sets the yeah. tone so good. The only bit of Claudio Simonetti trivia I have is that he made his debut in 1977 with The Heroin Busters, which was directed by Enzo G. Castellari, who directed Great White, a.k.a. The Last Shark, oh, which was wow. picked up for American distribution that? by Film Ventures International, which you can hear us talk all about on our House on Sorority Row episode. Fantastic. Okay, now we'll, we, we talked about the soundtrack. Let's run it down. Folks, Billy Idol's White Wedding is in this movie. Great song. Very fun. And of course, Used the white. perfectly. Used perfectly. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Take, your, take your guess, everybody. Okay. I have some questions about Written what... Written by the, what, William Broad. Okay. William, William Broad. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> is there anything, anything about William Broad? Great may, you may know him as... Billy Idol. That's his real name. Thank you. Making us sound like a bunch of idiots. Oh, man. <laughs> well, that was just um, it was like this funny. Rush up on my like, Billy Idol. Yeah, wow, I really didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know his real name. Yeah. Just, oh, that's either. funny. Okay, I have some questions about what these punks, these punk rockers, are listening to. And this is no shots fired against the music, by the way. I don't know of all the songs in this movie. You got Molly Crew, you got Billy Idol, you got you know Saxon and everything. Else. I know what you're going to say. Why are these punks listening to Go West? We close our eyes. They're just I'm listening like, to the radio, man. Yeah. Back then, you didn't, you didn't get to choose. Hey, you know? no, I'm telling you, it's a great song. <laughs> I don't know if the punk rockers of wherever they filmed that scene in Germany or Italy are listening to Go West, We Close Our Eyes. I, I think West. they're just listening to, like, Top 20, Justo. No way. There's, those kids aren't listening. To, those kids are putting their own mixtapes in there of, you know, <laughs> Sam Hain and stolen, shit. They're stolen car, though. It's a stolen car. They were, like, Oh, oh it, maybe so. it's, like, a mix that's already in the car. It was a stolen car. That's a very good point. I uh, apologize. We need, they're just <laughs> letting it happen. They're experiencing whoever owned that car prior. Well, I, think that's I, I will say that Go West does have another... Sh- I was going to say the show shot in 84 and like people know punk's a thing, but they don't necessarily know what punk is. 
Yeah, maybe these are a bunch mm. of posers anyway. It's probably the case too. Hey, Go West does have a pretty great song called King of Wishful Thinking that I guarantee they would not be listening to, but uh, pretty that good song. That was uh, their arguably best known for that, and it was featured under Pretty Woman soundtrack. It was. Um, but Go if you West. If the lyrics, has, it makes a lot of sense. Go West has some other horror bona fides to their name because they did Don't Be Afraid of Your Dreams for A Nightmare on Street 4, The Dream Master. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's and right, that song that. was reworked into an instrumental version for uh, the scene where Alice gets combat ready for Freddy. Wait, I thought that, that was anything by Drama Rama. Oh, that's when she does the nunchucks. Oh, that when she's that's right. getting into it the first time. That's right. out, okay. like she's got the powers, yeah. Lee Singer Go West, by the way, still has an incredible voice. He hasn't lost a voice. Congratulations to him. <laughs> This has been our uh, podcast we, on Go West. <laughs> we Close Our Eyes was released as a single in the U.S. and peaked at 41 on the Hot 100, for the record. would love to know where, where it peaked on the, the Billboard Punk 100. Um, okay. Then we've got Motley Crue's Save Our Souls, which scores the movie within the movie. I love something I love about this, that they use this, is that it's from their album, Theater of Pain. Mmm, there you go. See? <laughs> and this and, is, and its cover, the cover has two masks on that's it. That's true. Which but, starts everything in this. And this is something that's gonna come up with a lot of the metal bands on this soundtrack. This is another one where the this album, Theater Pain, when it came out in eighty five, saw the band shifting from a heavier sound to the more glam metal glam. style that was very popular at the time. And it was released just after like this album came out like Six months after Vince Neil's arrest for manslaughter for the drunk driving charge, that oh, that's left right. Nicholas Razzle Dingley, uh, the Hanoi Rocks drummer, dead. Um, Vince Neil, tough life. Uh, we'll we'll be talking about him a lot in, in Scream Three, I'm sure. Favor Souls was not a released as a single, but this album did give us the Brownsville Station cover, "Smoking in the Boys' Room," and the Oof. classic power ballad, "Home Sweet Home." With Tommy Lee on piano. How about that? Okay, next up, that staple of 1985 music, Rick Springfield, Walking on the Edge. Good title for this movie, I guess, you know, Walking on the Edge. These people are definitely walking on the edge throughout. What scene is this in? Rick Springfield, Walking on the Edge. I was trying really hard to write when these things were happening, but some of them were so quick that I, yeah, I was losing quick. the thread yeah. and I figured, I thought maybe someone else might've picked that one up, but I can't, let me go through my notes real quick, but does anybody else know? I don't have that mm-hmm. one. Yeah. I was trying to do the same thing, you know, like put where the songs were and I apparently did not write that one down. <laughs> I wonder if that was a, no, I'll say maybe the closing credits, but it's, it's definitely not in the closing credits. We, we, we all know that. There's a lot of okay, stuff move on, played huh? in the car and brief sequences, and I, I could, not, like I could yes. not pick up on the lyrics enough to find out. Would yeah, I agree. Probably I think, been in the car. Yeah. And Pretty Maid's Night Danger, which is only in the U.S. movie version. Not It was not in the... Because there's, there's other versions of, of this which have slightly different dubbings, I think. Huh. So, I, again, I wonder if so much of this... I, I, honestly, you could even make an argument that they've got the punk scene to incorporate all that music <laughs> I mean, like, to make up the soundtrack. Like, okay, this is what they're listening to. So here we go. This, we mentioned uh, go West. We close our eyes. The adventures send my heart. 
which well, I believe is also playing on, in the car. I wanted to talk about the Rick Springfield yeah. album for a quick oh, go ahead. second, go because ahead. this was his sixth 80s album, because he had a couple in the 70s when they were trying to turn him into another David Cassidy. Which are, he was uh, on General Hospital, right? Wasn't he on General Hospital? Well, he, he became, I think, Dr. Was it Dr. Uh, I, I keep saying Dr. Drake Memorial, but that's uh, Friends, right? Yes, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, uh, he signed up for General Hospital right before Working Class Dog came out in 81 because they didn't think the album was going to do well. And then, of course, gave us Jesse's Girl was a big hit. But Tao, which is this one off his 85 record, is. Uh, is a six eighties album and it was a departure for him. Cause I mean, you've heard it like it's much more synthesizer based. It's a little bit weirder. It's a little bit darker. And he was trying to go for more of a British uh, inspired sound on this hmm. one. You know, what's amazing about him. N- Noah Drake, by the way, there we go on, on general hospital. Rick Springfield is 72 years old. And has a, he's 71. I apologize. 71. Has a primo collection of Star Wars uh, action figures. Oh, really? <laughs> there's a there's a terrific video online where he's going through them. He started collecting them in the 70s and he explains he was a little too old. He just thought they were cool, but too old to open them and play with them. So he just kept them in the boxes, not knowing that they were going to be wow. worth as much as they are. So he's got them all graded in the plastic cases and he collects all the bootlegs. It's pretty cool. Well, it's kind of, this is kind of a sweet story for Rick Springfield. Um, when he was 25, he dated 15-year-old Linda Blair for a couple of years. I thought that's kind of nice. Mm, God. Um, so it's a real romantic Blair was story. In, Linda Blair was involved with Robin Zander from Cheap Trick for a minute, too. I don't think – I think she was older than 15. I think, you're, I think she was definitely older than 15 at that point. That would have been the late 70s. And that was right before the um, Rick James era. She liked the Ricks. Rick Springfield <laughs> and Rick James for, for Linda Blair here. Okay. Anything else on Rick Springfield or I think that's good. Pretty Maids. The, the Adventures in My Heart was another song played in the car. Mm-hmm. Now that uh, once again sort of makes sense that the punks would be listening to them because hmm. though the song is jangly pop, you know, kind of thing out of Belfast, and the ba- but the band was formed from the ashes of punk rockers, the Star Jets. Oh. Ah, yes, Star Jets. And then they were uh, managed by Simon Fuller for a period. Who's a okay? Now that name is familiar to people. He's an influential kind of mover and shaker in music. Uh, this uh, "Send My Heart" didn't was he? A, I'm not. I'm not talking about Simon Cowell, but didn't Simon Fuller launch American Idol? He may have. Well, He's done look a who lot. stumped who? Oh. Look who stumped who on music here. Let's see if I'm right. You keep talking. You keep talking. Let me see if I'm right. Keep going. Correct. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, he, he did a much. lot. Like Simon Fuller was had his fingers in a lot of pie. Well, I'd like to say I'm absolutely correct. He started <laughs> as Pop Idol in the UK and is called American Idol in the United States oh, of America. Congratulations, there we go. Your, All right. your American Idol knowledge rates. <laughs> it took 20 years, and I finally you, found you my knew, place. You knew at some point it would come in handy. <laughs> this uh, hold on to those nuggets. This song was on their uh, 85 record Theodore and Friends, and this was kind of a discovery of the episode for me because I really ended up liking this tune and I think I'm going to delve more into this act even though they never really crossed over to the states they just kind of hung out in the UK I think they still do stuff but nothing hmm. big so much for adventures um, well I have a question Justin on the roll. Uh, yes. and I read something that said that there was a Scorpion song in this, but then I couldn't find it anywhere else, and maybe they no, were just incorrect. I don't think so. Okay, yeah, that I must think... have been wrong. Or I thought no, no, maybe no. like 
the, the album has Dynamite by the Scorps. But I don't think it's. In the I don't. Movie. I don't yeah, remember I, it. Is it in the film though, or was it just like something that was on the album, or something in the credits? Even I just I don't remember. Like you said, though, there's so the much credits, music in know. this movie. Yeah, yeah. I just saw it listed, I, I been, and I thought it's oh. possible that we were just distracted by, you know, demons coming out of people's spines. <laughs> we were possible. like, we were like, oh, it's scorpions, or <laughs> you know, katanas and motorcycles. Yes, yes. I think. Very distracting. Yeah, wind, well, wind, wind of change was playing during the the, the <laughs> demon coming out of the back, and I just I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> it, was, so, it was too on the nose. It was too the on the nose. Song that's featured on the soundtrack though is Dynamite, and that's from their '82 album Blackout. Hmm. But there's some good horror adjacent trivia to this hmm. because while they uh, were prepping this album, the singer Klaus Mine had to undergo surgery on his vocal cords because he lost his voice. So when they were recording the demos. They brought in Don Dokken of Dokken. Ah. And I've never heard the demos. I don't know if they've ever been released, but Don Dokken is on the album credited with uh, background vocals, and Klaus Mein uh, sings lead on that one. Now, of course, Scorpions is a German band. Long history began as, like, I consulted, I I brought in an expert on some of the heavy metal stuff. I brought in my friend Metal Dave, uh, first name Metal, last name Dave. He came into the bar last night and I kind of uh, I picked his brain on this. And he says they started in the 60s doing kind of hippie shit and then they were, became hard rock and then they kind of settled into the metal groove. Well, Scorpion's Dynamite song is also very famous for sampling Jimmy Walker's Dino Might from Good Times. That's in not the true. opening that's uh, stanza. That's true. That's Don't test true. me again. I just told you the truth about American Idol. <laughs> All right. That's true. How about Accept, Fast as a Shark? Where does that fall? Well, I'll <laughs> tell you what. Fast Here as a go. Shark by Accept is sometimes considered to be one of the first speed metal songs and heavily influenced oh. on what became Thrash. So it's a, it's I would a, even say that I would landmark. accept that. I would accept that oh. as fact. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they're another German. Uh, I think I cracked open act. a beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that song, Vanderbilt, as you know, is played during the, I'll call it famous, not infamous, motorcycle ride through the theater with a sword in hand by George. That's the big song that's playing. Oh, is that? Okay, cool. Yeah. That's we, Love it. Here's something interesting of note that the album that it's off, uh, Restless and Wild from 82, Features a song called Demon's Night, which is not mm. featured in the film Demons. Hmm. They were like two on the nose. <laughs> Unlike the Claudio Simonetti's Demon. Demon. Yeah. And Fast as a Shark really should have been in The Last Shark, a.k.a. Great White, right? Yeah. And you said 19, it was 1982's Restless and Wild? Yes. That was probably me because I was two years old. And I can only imagine the terrible twos. I was, I was probably very <laughs> restless and wild around that time. Now, here's a missed opportunity, Justin. Hmm. You have a film within a film. Mm-hmm. That film could have had a lot more music in it, mm-hmm. other than the mm-hmm. one song that I think that we do here. I'm sure we'll cover in a second. Well, we, uh, we talked about it. Could have been, it could have been. Oh, did we? Yeah, that was Molly Crew. Yeah, yeah. Um, solid, solid opening to that film. Uh, <laughs> that could have been like a, a double album here. You know, we could have had like the movie within the movie. Which would undoubtedly come out as like that would be the packaging, much akin to like the the Watchmen release, you know. <laughs> and then uh, and then this, yeah, missed opportunity, Demon Crew. You blew it. Bob. Although I will <laughs> say, I am etern- like always impressed by the caliber of music that 
that is in both of these films. Yeah. Like it's just so surprising that they managed to get, you know, all the license. I'm assuming Absolutely. they licensed everything correctly. Like it's incredible. Well, to I me. don't like, know. They it is the Italians. They can just the be thing. doing whatever the, the fuck they want. It's a whole different story over there. Like like, like I said, I don't know. I was gonna say because like the Smiths were at the, their peak. And it was amazing that they ended up on the Demons 2 soundtrack, you know? <laughs> yeah, and like Peter Murphy. Yeah, yeah. it's wild. Cold, I, I cold, do appreciate great. when yeah. uh, horror movies of this era have like a soundtrack of artists that you know, actually were something. Like, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned this kind of carried on through the, the end of the decade with, with Dream Master and everything else. And even Dream Child had some good... Well, well even Freddy's like, Dead had some good like, what more all makes alternative sense too, Because stuff. it's all for teenage boys. I, I do yeah. feel that the the Dario with these song selections, you know, because he was kind of in into that at the moment. You know, you've got Phenomena mm-hmm. with, you know, Iron Maiden and all that kind of stuff, which I don't think to me personally, it doesn't work as well as it does in this film. But I, yeah. I feel like that's maybe some of his influence. Like, oh, no, you got to get these songs in there. You got to appeal to this audience and, you know, yeah, get that, for- that young demographic. <laughs> I always I thought the Iron Maiden was in this movie, Rachel. As a matter of fact, but you're mm-hmm. right; it was it was phenomenal. Because I always got I think I got those two soundtracks mixed up. Because Iron Maiden makes perfect sense for this, like you said, perfect sense for yeah. this. Um, now, I don't think does anybody else. I've got one more band yes. has a song in this movie, mm-hmm. and it's Saxon. Everybody yeah. up, yeah. And that's played when they discover that their demons have taken over the city. So these in, guys the were the leaders, one of the leaders of the new wave of British heavy metal. The new wave of British heavy metal that included Iron Maiden, uh, mm-hmm. Diamond Head, and Def Leppard. Motorhead intersects. Motorhead is sometimes considered proto new wave of heavy metal. Uh, and this one had an official music video, but this was much like with the other artists we were talking about with Motley Crue. Uh, the fans were bristling at this point because mm-hmm. they were getting a little too commercial, a little too slick, trying to make some money. And going for that more commercial sound that was popular at the time. You know, it's funny as I get older, poison kind of thing. As I get older, the idea of selling out and people getting <laughs> upset about it, it is just not. I'm not for it anymore. I just think if you gotta make money somehow, make make your money in this in this world. Good luck. Well, it's such a weird generational divide too, where uh, musical artists now like the only way you can get a hit is probably being in a commercial. Exactly. I mean, we can do us. It's, it's, you know, it's tough to make money at all anymore. If you can make money a certain way, go for it. Who cares? The alternative yes. era in the nineties where that was frowned upon. And Oh yeah. Uh, something like John Lennon, who, I mean, he famously wouldn't sell his music, but then he ended up at a Nike commercial anyway. Because of I'm going to sell me music to Michael Jackson. <laughs> pretty good. John Lennon, I think, right? It's pretty good. Good. Yeah, all right. Thank you very much folks. <laughs> Saxon, fun fact, um, John Saxon, the actor, is in Tenebre, which is directed by Dario Argento, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. second assistant director is Lamberto Bava. How about that? Does, now does, does he have anything to do with the band Saxon? No, but Absolutely I'm kind not. of picturing a Photoshop <laughs> in my head right now of the band Saxon, all with uh, oh, John Saxon. John Saxon. You know, Saxon has, I love how your mind works, because I no doubt... I'm, <laughs> Every time after we do these episodes, Vanderbilt's sending us like a myriad of Photoshop brilliance, and I just can't wait for it this time. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic to see. But something else that's going to be really fantastic is this next category. And it's a category that we call Sick Fucks. It's a fun game, Sydney. See, we ask you a question, and if you get it wrong, you die. You get it right? You die. 
me you're crazy, both of you. Now, technically speaking, we could literally just do the main cast for this section because basically everybody becomes a demon. But I want to focus on two people. And the first of which is somebody who we've mentioned several times mm-hmm. in this podcast. And it's Michelle Soevi, who, again, directed several of the pseudo-demon sequels. And he plays not only the mysterious man in black with the metal mask, he is Jerry... The, the guy who becomes possessed, the first demon that becomes possessed within the movie. In the movie within the movie, yeah. A, the movie within the movie. True utility player. So my question is, I've got a lot of questions about this character. And listen, we're not watching demons for the plot. We're not taking classes on screenwriting and storytelling 101. So let's talk about this character, Man in Black. Is the Man in Black Jerry who is now a demon and he's kind of working under the influence of demons to get these people to come to the movie theater. Is that what's happening here? Well, I wanted to ask oh, you, let me ask this next question. Did, did all three of you just now learn from me that that's the same person? <laughs> I didn't know that before. No. Yes. Cause that would change everything. That would change. I didn't know that until I was doing research to be honest with you. I had no clue it was the same person. Yeah. I didn't really recognize him. And I think you mentioned that to me before I rewatched it. So I was very mm. cognizant of it watching it this time, but I kind of, th- I thought about that. I, it seems at the, at the end, like maybe he has been the mastermind the whole time, the way that he shows up and kind of fights George, um, mm-hmm. whether or not it's the actor turned demon during the filming of demons, but somehow they still continued with the filming of the film. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I like, to... I think, I think it, it, it's a weird thing. It's very strange because it's like, where, when did they, when did the mask, I don't know. I hate there's even saying this because I think there's going to be someone that's like, ooh, that would make for a good prequel, and I don't want to well, ever no, see I'm a prequel glad you asked because all those answers are those questions are answered in Demons '95, Della Morte, Della Morte. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, answer. I was going to say, yeah, I don't know. I, that that's a weird thing because there's I, a, I, lot a lot of people I don't understand about the plot. Because <laughs> <of the laughs> well, a lot of people when you're fa- when you're actually thinking about it instead yeah. of just when I put it on it, it's one of my favorite movies to put on at the bar in the background because it's such a visual feast. Yeah. Definitely. But yeah, I'm, like, not, yeah, I'm not like, too concerned. Why the are the demons doing any of this? But demons, just doing, so, just doing demon shit. Yeah. In, in the, in the first the movie, it's very, I, I like how you don't know what's going on because even like the, like uh, what's her name that plays the, the usherette as they uh, mentioned Ingrid, in, the stone Ingrid, cold mm-hmm. Fox city episode you think is complicit. Yes. You know, that's Dougie, a whole you think she works there the whole time. Well, well yeah, we'll get into that, but I'm We're just saying, so, so with this character, I don't know if we're supposed to believe because it's not like the second one where the demons are actually like they come out of the TV. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. this is just it's clearly uh, boils down to the mask and getting pricked by the mask. And that's how Jared uh, Jared becomes a demon. So where does the movie come into play? And I think I don't know. Maybe is it the maybe the production company behind it? Are, are demons and they're responsible. They're just like, I'm just well, this is a way to get people to movie theater. This is a way to get people into movie theater. We're gonna well, we're gonna get our best demon actors to actually make this movie and and give them money to make it, and then we'll use that as a way to get people to this theater, and then we'll just let someone prick themselves on this mask. Maybe AMC needs to consult the demons on bringing people back to the theater. <laughs> yeah, it's just basically you yeah. show up. With hey, the, the, that's a good idea. The movies are back, and you just put the mask on your face and get possessed. (laughs) 
So I have some questions though about this young man. Um, if he is like a tool of the the, the devil or whatever, is he getting paid in like movie tickets? Like, does he get? Is it like <laughs> he a gets customer to thing? Take like, home those free posters on the wall. Oh, there you go. Oh, he gets to take him off the thumbtacks. He's like, can, can, can we get some? Can we get some movie? Po- They're like, no, no, no. You have to bring your own movie posters and put them up. <laughs> like, does he have to wait ten days before he can bring people to the movies after the movies come out, or can he go right away? I have some questions about this. Um, you we know, wish him well. und- undoubtedly, at the end of the film, when he has to go back and talk to his superior Satan mm. or the demon head or whatever, they're like, "Why did you put the motorcycle and the sword in there? Like that was your downfall. You, you put it in there, <laughs> and that is the thing. That, that's how they cool. get out. That's how they escape." This guy was the interior decorator as well. I, he, he did it all. He was the, he's kind of like the cool guy. Like in the like we always hear about these bands starting out. They're like, yeah, man, we were on the streets. We were passing out flyers. This guy is passing out movie tickets to people on subways, and he's wearing chains, a metal mask, what looks to be a, like a giant trench coat, and something on his chest. I can't quite recall. I was so distracted by that incredible mask. You know what's great about this? You never see this anymore. You know, like I don't ever. You never see. It would never be a scary man passing out tickets if they wanted people to come see this movie. You know what I mean? It would be like, you know, the usherette or something just wandering around. And that's what's even more bizarre is is that they get these tickets from this strange man, scary looking dude. And they're okay. like, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's do it. Like, how Skip trusting class. was that era? Yeah. You know, like, it's so funny. Young it's so people cool. going to like a weirdo. <laughs> Art installation, like yeah, yeah. true, true. He Especially in Berlin. in Berlin, in the in nineteen eighty five, they I mean, all fucking dress like that. Like that's, that's true. That's, that's the look. And he has a pretty gnarly death. He gets his face shoved through like that rod at the, in the ceiling of the movie theater. It's pretty. It's a pretty slow demise for a mysterious man in black. Uh, interesting career behind the scenes. He was. Another uh, second unit director on Phenomena, which we mentioned several times. He went on to work on Opera as a second unit director for Argento. Mm-hmm. Worked on a couple of Terry Gilliam movies, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen and The Brothers Grimm. Mm. The former is um, good, and the second one is not Fantastic. good. Fantastic. Uh, wait, are you a Brothers Grimm stand? Rachel should do the commentary for Brothers Grimm. We found, we found one. Jonathan Price actually plays characters in both of those movies that are very similar. It's kind of a weird thing. And we mentioned earlier, he directed a bunch of the non-Demons, Demons movies, too. He directed uh, one of my favorite, Polizo, Polizo, how do you say it? Polizo Tesci? Yeah. Uh, Day of the Cobra with Franco Nero, which is Mm -hmm. one that's, uh, there's a lot of them, so it's like you have to sift through a lot of junk. But that one is a good one with a memorable uh, fight scene. That I hmm. highly recommend. If you had to put that up against Day of the Jackal in terms of animals, <laughs> what, what wins? I don't know. Day I'm, of the Cobra or Day I'm of the Jackal? I'm scared of the snakes, but like, I like, there's terrifying. no cobras in the movie. There's no actual snakes. That's kind of like in the movie Cobra with, with, with uh, Sylvester Stallone. Correct <laughs> oh, yes. me if I'm wrong. Is his name yes. not, isn't it like John Cabretti? No, it's, yeah, it's Marion Cabretti. <laughs> Marion Cabretti. I love One it. One of the greatest names, and this is, let's talk about Cobra for two seconds here. I love in Cobra, <laughs> when we're getting to know Marion Cabretti, he goes to his apartment, and he's still wearing sunglasses, and he takes mm-hmm. a pizza out and uses scissors, scissors 
And I thought that is a great choice by let's let's face it, Stallone directed that movie. All right, let's just, <laughs> let's just be honest. He directed it. Okay. Now the other person we should talk about in this category, who kind of kicks things off, is the aforementioned Jaretta Jaretta. I think she was going by a different name at this time. I think it was Jaretta something. John Carlo. There we go. That's right. But she goes by Jaretta Jaretta now. She plays Rosemary, and she's the one that puts on the mask and gets a big slice in her face. And let me tell you something about this. If your movie has practical effects with like pulsing boils coming out of your cheeks, you know, count me in. Well, here I have a question for you guys. Okay. You guys, do you hate it or do you love it? Do you like watching uh, pimple popping videos? Because mm. oh. I'm no. into it. I know no. people. No, I something can't. That, oh, I can't do it. You oh, know, and this movie has so much of it. Like, it does. It's awesome. Did someone put together a, you know, like a doom scroll of of this kind of film version of these things happening? I would maybe watch it just to be like, oh, what what is that movie? I got to check that movie out. The real life stuff is just <laughs> things. That you, it's once you see it, you can't unsee it, and it, th- that's the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but it's so satisfying. Oh, I can't do oh. it. Oh, it's just. Ooh, I definitely stumbled I... upon a couple of those in my time, and it's just oh god. It's it's the same thing of like you know I love watching these violent horror movies, but I can't watch these things happen in real life. Like I can't watch real life footage well, of this and, stuff. And, you and know? that's a perfect example of like people always say, you know, oh well, you you watch all this horror, you you're desensitized to like the like, reality. No. I'm like, no, <laughs> not it's not. Like I, I, I when re, when stuff really goes down, it, it's jarring because I'm able to distinguish what is fake and you know a dumb movie uh, <laughs> that I love uh, versus reality. I just I hate when people say stuff like that because it's just like no, that, that doesn't desensitize you at all. If anything, you're more aware of the reality of things because it's totally not what you see in the films. Well, Rachel, besides your writing online, I know you do have pimple popping Rachel on YouTube. So oh, yes. would you like to come to the defense of? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, oh, I, I know I can't I can't watch the yeah real real videos like that. That's too much for me. But, oh. I, I, you know, I think when it's in a movie for me personally, when it's, you know, gore scenes or it's always an appreciation, like I'm more impressed by like how things are pulled off, like how yes. the team behind them is, you know, doing this and how things are shot to, you know, really edit around certain things to really have these effects land and you know, have the most impact possible. So like, to me, that's why I like watching a little bit more gory stuff sometimes. And this movie is a prime example mm. of how incredible those practical effects can be. Like the teeth gets me every oh, yeah. time oh, yeah. and just like how it's framed up and how Oof. effective it is. Like, do I want to watch people get their teeth pulled out in real life? Here's, no. No. <laughs> Here's another aside. Do you guys have nightmares about losing your teeth? Cause that's yes. one of my recurring ones. Now that I says don't. something. I think it's about if you're worried about money, financial, right? It's Isn't a that what financial that is? thing? Which yeah. I always am. There we go. Which makes sense. Well, welcome why to adults America, have those dreams. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that makes but sense. I, also, a question I had for everybody that seems to be so that also happens to Carmen is the mm-hmm. the cuts become like the boil that explodes. And do you think that happens to all the demons? Even though we don't see that necessarily, like that is the first thing that happens is the boil exploding and. And is that kind of like the, the gateway to demonhood? I think so. I, I, you know, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think. Uh, no, okay. okay. <laughs> you know? Well, I was thinking about the other people who become demons. I think the other thing about 
this movie and especially Demons 2 that I appreciate is that there are no rules. There's nobody <laughs> trying to figure out, oh, we've got to get to X and get the book and figure out the spell to stop this. No. Demons and Demons 2 is just about getting away from the demons. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is it. And I love it for that, though. There's no plot trying to interfere when it doesn't need to be. Yeah. It knows exactly what it is, and it is um, demons. Something I also want to give credit to Rosemary, to Dreda Dreda, the frenetic movement. And yeah. the way that 100%. the way the, way the that hair she, flings back and forth too. It's, it's so like good. iconic look, but also the performance really informs the way that demons will work, especially in the second one. Mm-hmm. I think they were like, Oh, we really had something here. Like let's mimic that kind of thing. But I agree. I, I, it's so great and so memorable. And uh, yeah. it's, it, it's so fun. Yeah. It should cool. be noted that Dreda Dreda, this is before the pandemic, she announced, and I'm not, this is no joke. She's more or less writing and directing Demons 3. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She also, she lives in New Orleans. So, it, like, yep. can we have a Demons 3, like, set in New Orleans? Oh, like, that's what she said. She said it's going to be set in New Orleans, and apparently like, Lamberto Baba is producing it. I'm all in. So there we go. I'm give going it, down to, to New Orleans really soon, and oh, I'm going to do some scouting for locations <laughs> and send it that way. Now, we'll see if that, oh, man. hopefully that happens. But I also want to say she's actually... She's in the, she is in the uh, In Search of Darkness Part 2 doc on Shudder. Mm-hmm. He's a great talking head in that. Yeah. Uh, He's really good. She talks about the era and everything else. It's, it's really good. I'm not sure if you've seen that one. but She uh, made good. her debut in Susan Seidelman's... Uh, Smithereens. Kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, Seidelman would go on to do uh, Desperately Secret Susan. Susan and yep. she appears in two really good... Uh, Italian horror flicks. Rats, Nights of Terror, Night of Terror, which has one of my favorite endings of all time. And Shocking Dark, which is Bruno mm-hmm. Mattei's Aliens and Terminator ripoff. She's also in um, Paganini Horror. Or no, not sorry, not Paganini Horror. Uh, oh, shoot. It's not the Slash Dance one. What is it? The other... <laughs> The, oh, the Fulci film where they're murder rock. Thank you. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Something with dancing she's, or music. <laughs> yes. She's in murder rock. And um, there's also, there's another actress in this movie though. That's in Paganini horror. So it's one of the cool things about this movie. Like when you've seen a lot of Italian horror movies, you can notice a lot of these actors, like the little kid right. at the end, he plays Bob. It doesn't, he, isn't that his name in um, house by the cemetery? It's not Bob. Is that Bob? I'm pretty sure. If that's Bob, Great. this is unbelievable. I did not recognize him if that's okay, Bob. Okay, well, let's find it. I you, don't know. You look it up. I couldn't find him in the, uh, you, okay. in the credits. Yeah, but. Because he just had, isn't that, that has to be the same little kid, right? But what, what year is House by the Cemetery, though? It's 81. 81. 81. Okay, so that's four years earlier. It's possible that's Bob. But doesn't he look? Because, like, think about how young Bob is in that one, and then Bob. that little boy at the end, and how terrible his English is. Giovanni Frezza, who lives yeah. in uh, Chicago-ish now. I think he actually showed up at one of the um, screenings of uncredited of that, as Kirk in Demons. Oh my oh god! Oh my goodness! Oh, um, <laughs> Good call. Good call. Nice. Good call. Oh, I've got nice. a picture with Bob. Oh, uh, and go. Kirk, like Kirk from Demons. Yeah, Kirk from Demons. Um, great. I love the kid eating. He's like eating and, and shooting people. It's it's a yes. it's a great finale. Yeah. Okay, listen, Dredge Red also she got her MFA at, at the American Film Institute. Like she's a. Uh, like quite the the career in life. She'll so probably make Demons the best Demons Three there's ever been uh, of the four. <laughs> oh, the we have to see one. all eleven films before we 
decide that. Only if she calls it Demons 3. And, and <laughs> the, 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 the Demons 3, the ogre. <laughs> it's really confused people. Okay, well, let's move on to our next category. We're going to talk about the rest of this cast, more or less. And, it, and it's called, uh, I'm stumbling here like we've never done this before. It's called Everybody's a Suspect. He's got killer printed all over his forehead. Okay. Really? Why the cops let him go, smart guy? Because obviously they don't watch enough movies. This is standard horror movie stuff. Prom night revisited, man. Okay, well, the good thing about this section in terms of time is that we're not going to be talking about the careers of, you know, Harrison Ford here, okay? We're not going to be talking about, you know, Meryl Streep's filmography. We can pretty much keep it to the characters. Let's start off at the very top. Cheryl, played by the wonderful, wickedly talented Natasha Hovey, uh, who you, I was convinced for the first 86 minutes of this movie that she was going to survive. Unquestionably survive. <laughs> Mac, we talked about this a little bit, but think about even now, when, when, when the credits start to roll in movie theaters, people just leave. People get up and leave. I wonder how many people do not know that after that first run of the cast, you know, goes away, we see her turn into a demon and then get shot. And I I wonder how many people miss that. It's such an odd, inspired choice to have half the credits. I went to see a a film fairly recently, and it was... I think it was Fast 9, right? And not that that those are notorious for having an after-credits sequence, but... So many people were walk were already like walking down the aisle as that movie was wrapping up. <laughs> like it's the ball game or something. Yeah, like <laughs> like 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 we've got to get to our traffic. car. We've got to beat the traffic to get out of this like giant myriad. Like like it's a like you've been at a a drive-in or something. It's so bizarre to me, especially when you see it happen at Marvel films. Like, have you not seen the twenty nine thirty Marvel films before this that have post credit sequence and are you not aware that like you should stick around for like five more minutes? Like, it's so bizarre. But you're right, Justin. I I even feel like when we first saw this movie, how easy it would have been to just kind of stop paying attention once the credits rolled. Well that's what, that, that's what happened to me and it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. 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 I, it's such a great turn and I love that just that shot of her just like dead on the asphalt. <laughs> Very bleak ending to demons. Nobody gets out alive. So good. It also like it makes George a final boy, which you don't see that often, which I think is really cool. Because I think he's actually he gets the top credit, and now you're like, oh, it makes Mm -hmm. sense now because he is. He's the last one standing. Well, I guess the final boy would technically be the great Kirk. Uh, (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Little Bob. The final little boy. Yeah. Um, It's a it's a unforgiving fate and. I remember because I, I just don't think that was happening at all. I don't know. I can't think of anything in the 80s except for Masters of the Universe to have like a post-credits or mid-credits stinger like that, you know? Uh, Ferris um, Bueller. Oh, yeah, the very end where people to go home. I mean, you know. But we don't even need that. Like we need to, if, you, if you didn't know about the Masters of the Universe, Skeletor saying, I'll be back, that, that makes a huge difference. You well, know? The only obviously reason, Cheryl dying makes a difference. The only reason I knew about the Masters of the Universe one was because when we went to see it at the Evergreen Plaza, we got there early, and then we went in uh, for the end, the credits of the last showing. Mm. Oh no! We saw oh, it. No. <laughs> well, spoiler well, alert. You know, yeah. I guess you didn't really think he was dead, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> it is massive universe. 
Well, I guess he ended Love up being dead because he did not make another one after all. So there, that was a wrap. That's true. I'm still waiting for that sequel. He promised <laughs> us. George, played by Urbano Barberini, who has a, a very uh, eye-popping role in opera. Oh, yeah. Didn't yeah. recognize him. No, Mark, forgot. He's got a beard and slightly longer hair. He's a little more sophisticated than that. He's got a mm-hmm. big role in Argento's opera. Like you said, he ended up being the final. We, we joke because, once again, in, in this in Demons too, there's like the preppy guy who ends up getting his sleeves ripped off and is just like the big action hero, you know? <laughs> and look, a handsome young man. Well, a handsome mm-hmm. fellow. Everybody in this movie is pretty attractive, and this guy <laughs> is a hunk, the, Is he the rock hard hunk of the film? Yeah. Rock I, hard he's hunk? gotta be. He's gotta be. Him or he's, fucking Tony the Pimp. I don't know. That, yeah, and yeah, Ken, I, I will say, if I was, you know, a Ken's 15 year old Rachel of, would have thought that yeah. Ken was pretty dreamy. Ken. <laughs> he's like, he, you know, Ken is the George Harrison of the film, and he's a quiet one. You know, he, he's a real <laughs> he's sweetheart. He's got some great hair. Ken reminds yeah, me of Bobby from uh, Twin Peaks, right? Oh, yes. yeah, that's yeah, same totally. hairstyle. Yeah. Same mm-hmm. hairstyle. I want to tell you something about George, though. Arbano Barberini, he is in Casino Royale. Yes, he is. He oh, sits in, in between Jeffrey Wright and Mads Mikkelsen. He's one of the Texas Hold'em players. Oh, I've got to watch that again. How about that? <laughs> That's great. He well, looks just like he, he aged very well. He looks terrific. My favorite bit about <laughs> Urbano, Urbano Barberini is that he notably appears in Gore and Outlaw of Gore from 1987 and 1998, respectively. Are you guys familiar with these movies? No. no. That are based on the writings of this guy, John Norman. And... Uh, his writings inspired the Korean subculture, which uh, focuses on like uh, master and slave dynamics and female submission with like formal slave training and positions and stuff. And it, you know, it, it's like a real thing. It's a real subculture and it's really wild. Are Urbano Barberini's in these? He's in Gore and Outlaw Gore. Cause they're not, they're kind of just like typical Italian, like kind of old sword and sorcery science fiction things. But it all inspired this kind of weird, uh, which is kind of an offshoot of the whole BDSM thing. I would love to see that him on so set weird. of Casino Royale, sitting in between Jeffrey Wright and Mads Mikkelsen and looking across at Daniel Craig and thinking, you have no idea what I've done, do you? <laughs> <laughs> like he's, real, like, he's the mastermind behind it, yes. even though he just was in, happened to be in the movie. <laughs> like Game of Thrones is kind of inspired by a lot of this stuff, too. I, I, I can see that. I, I get what you're going through with that. It's been noted also. This George's great moment in this movie is obviously the sword, sword, the sword slinging motorcycle ride. That goes on just long enough. When he busts through the door on the motorcycle oh, so and he's holding the sword, it is you're just like, what am I watching? Like, where it's become, it's such a total like badass moment. I'd say it's just crazy. It lives up to the badass. <laughs> you're just like, monitor. what is going on? So funny. I, I literally just scream out loud every time because it's yeah. just so amazing. Yeah, uh, he just turns into you know this Italian ninja warrior character that like. <laughs> It's I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, a katana on a motorcycle killing demons. Like, it's amazing. And yeah, it's that fusion of action and horror that you were talking about earlier that I just can never get enough of. And the stunt work Italian in that nin- scene. Italian Ninja. I'm picturing the American Ninja poster now. Exactly. With the, with the Italian flag. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of like. There's thing- your there's your uh, artwork, Mike, for the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like that thing we were talking about earlier about, like, the, the movie makes good on its promise because in mm-hmm. the very beginning, you know, not only 
not only does the VHS cover, like we do end up seeing that demon, albeit briefly and totally not what we thought it was going to be, but we do <laughs> see that demon. We do, you know, if you're watching the very beginning of the movie in the back of your head, you're thinking, oh, cool. It's like going to be some kind of like motorcycle sequence in the movie they're watching with like a samurai sword, maybe, or, or maybe that just has something to do with the theater and why it's famous or <laughs> you have no clue. But when it comes back, you're just like, Yes, this is everything. I, everything I was like remotely thinking of, like wanting to be in this movie, has now been in this movie. <laughs> it's so yeah, fun. And then you get a fucking helicopter. Oh yeah, oh, that, that is, the that is, that is the, like oh, what the so fuck good. moment of the movie. <laughs> He's a master of all blades. That's what I think every time he like starts. Uh, I mean, <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 the helicopter. I've said so good at least ten times, but that's just how good this movie is. What can I tell you? Yeah. I, how about the stunt work? During the motorcycle driving, like the claustrophobia and like, like the contained nature of that movie theater and getting that motorcycle around like dozens of people in makeup and not killing anybody, <laughs> not, not least of all the person driving the motorcycle. It's pretty incredible. Like it's great production value stuff there. It's another one of those things where it's like you couldn't do this now. Like no. there's oh, too no. many legal ramifications. I hear it's like, like between this and the chase and French connection. Those are the two you can't <laughs> legally do. <laughs> Although, actually, I heard that you, if you go to Italy, you can do it. That's what I hear. Life is cheap. Drive, drive motorcycles in Italy theaters, you're fine. No problem. Good by you, George. We, wish, we, hope him all the, we wish him all the best as he goes. Although in Demons 2, we kind of learn the fate of that area. Kind of. It's even more confusing, but yeah, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, Rachel's big crush, 15-year-old crush, Ken, mm-hmm. played by Carl Zenny, who once again appears in opera. Argento's opera. Uh, I feel really bad for this loser. You know, he, um, <laughs> loser. Yeah, why is he a loser? Cause he's wearing I a sweater. Uh, he's no. got a sweater wrapped around his shoulders. Him, so therefore well, he's cool. I mean, come strike, on now. Strike one. I mean, I mean his name is odd. Ken, you know, Ken? like he with is... a sweater. And, yeah. <laughs> and what's, well, I feel bad for him though, because he obviously, he shoots his shot pretty early on with Kathy. I mean, this guy's hitting on her in the first two minutes of the movie. That they're watching. It was a pretty, pretty incredible move. I feel like if they had gotten together, the Kin and Kathy moniker would have been pretty cute, you know? Totally. Um, I feel bad for no great hair. I'm, I'm very jealous, trust me. And a very brutal death, though. You know, he knows he's dying. He's trying to get his friend to chop his head off. And he finally does. Yeah, I don't know if I could do it, but he does kind of go demon before he gets killed. So. Oh, he goes demon. Yeah. He goes demon, he and then I could have done it. I like that shot where he's standing. They're essentially standing in front of the Nosferatu poster of something coming back after it's dead. I, I kind of mm. like that little nod. Oh, that's yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. Okay, I have some questions about this next character. Okay, Hannah, played by Fiore Argento, another one of Dario's daughters, who is in the opening of Phenomena. By the way, she's the one that gets um, killed. Mm-hmm. Weather alert. She's also in Trauma. With her other sister, Asia, and and the card player. You know, the card player is actually not that bad. In terms of a latter day Argento movie, mm. not bad. It's more of a Giallo movie, if anything else. Um I have some questions though. The so Fiora Argento is in this movie. Now, we also see the movie poster for Dario Argento's Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Mm-hmm. So if that means that the Dario Argento exists in this world. Doesn't that also mean that Fiora Argento exists in this world? Ergo, I'm thinking about this too hard. How, how, I've got like the chart now. Yeah. How is she a character in this? Anyway, that was my, that was my big thing. She is in, of course, the vent scene. Great reveal. 
which is probably the best directed scene you could say in this movie. The way that they reveal, you know, her and Tommy are, are crawling through the vent. You get the extreme close up of the demon hands. We're led to believe this is tracking them down. It turns out it was her hands the whole time, and it's. Because then he hears what he hears oh, in front of them, places. right? They switch yeah, they places, places because he wants to take the the brunt of the demon attack. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he hears the scraping from in front of him, and it, it's so impossible. Fun. <laughs> it's such a fun reveal. Fun. The noise is coming from inside the vent. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible. And then poor Tommy gets off. We don't have to talk about that guy. Yeah. Okay, now Kathy, Paola Cazzo. I'm doing pretty good with his pronunciations. I hope. Yeah, I know. Terrific death scene. This is this is the demon yeah. that comes out of the back. The practical effects here are nothing short of incredible. And it leads to the great VHS cover with the turtlenecked demon <laughs> on the cover. The beatnik uh, demon. The beatnik, beatnik yeah. demon. Hey, demon. Hey, demon. And <laughs> not a great scene. You want to, we could talk about this scene for a second. There's actually a little bit of a behind the scenes on, on YouTube about how they did this. But to get it, when you get that long shot of her kind of arching her back out and there's still something coming out, that's a pretty incredible effect there. Because you can obviously cheat it if you've got like the above view and the extreme close-up. Right. Obviously, it's just something pushing through. Anyway, you look at it, it's an incredibly memorable scene. And it's really the only scene of this movie in which we see an actual demon coming out of a yeah. human as opposed to just a possession happening, right? You know yeah. what's cool about this character too is usually you would think that it's... Um, it would be Cheryl as they've already kind of made her the lead, but cause she's the first person you're introduced to essentially mm. would be the one to be like, this sounds real. This is happening. This is, and making all the connections, but it's actually Kathy. <laughs> That's yeah. like, yep. those screams sound real, you know, the, and then it's happening just like in the movie. I even though they say that like a few times, but I, it, I thought that was an, an interesting choice. It, it kind of, again, the thing I love, love about this movie is that it really goes against the trends of film, like any, it always subverts where you think it's going to go. Something else happens or you're mm. thinking like, I, I, I liken it to that scene where they're trying to um, cut, try and throw the guy over the, the balcony. And then all of a sudden that demon's just right there, you know, like stuff yeah. like that, you know, where you just, you really, you keep thinking they're just going to follow the trope and then something else just totally happens. And then and the helicopter so comes fun. through the ceiling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is, <laughs> and know? that is the biggest example. Yeah. Where you're just like, what is that sound? And then the helicopter and, I love that how at minute one twenty one of the film, they realize, oh, this is happening like all over the place now. <laughs> Wait, what part of the film? At minute one twenty one. You mean hour one, minute twenty one? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Oh, okay. I think I mean like the minute into the movie. I went. Wait, what no, happened no, though? No. Um, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Because I was gonna say though, to be fair though, in the first minute of the movie, she does start seeing images of the man in the mask, kind of like when she's looking out the window. Yep. Mm-hmm. Something's amiss earlier. It was faded. She was faded. Yes. Uh, poor can't get can't get but can't cannot get enough of Cheryl and her awful demise, which is <laughs> great for the audiences, I guess you could say. Um so yeah, Ingrid the Usherette, played by Nicoletta Elmi, who was in Mario Bava's Bay of Blood. Yes. Yeah. As a little girl in that, and Baron Blood. A bunch of blood movies for yeah. Ingrid mm-hmm. from Nicoletta Elmi. And Argento's Deep Red. She was Deep the little Red. girl in, in, in Deep Red, as a matter of fact. And Flesh for Frankenstein, a.k.a. Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, which is finally coming to Blu-ray this year. And and that, is, of course, is with Udo Kier, right? Yes. Who was in? Uh, Black Christmas. Everything? 
Who was in everything. No, who was in um, Dario Argento's Suspiria. That's right. It all comes back to Argento, everybody. Oh, yeah. I, it wasn't Black Christmas. That's Kirdula. I always get those two, their names mixed up. Udo Kirdula would be like a great band name, though. <laughs> I can keep that in mind for my inevitable trek down that road. So, yeah, Mac, you mentioned this earlier. I think it was you, Mac, that yeah. it seems like she's in on all this from the very beginning. But clearly at the end, she's just as panicked as everybody else. So was she, once again, was she misled? Did she go through human resources at this theater? <laughs> again, I think the production people were like, we don't have a lot of money, so you've got to get people to run this theater. And so I think that Man in the Mask just was like, actually, you know, got some real jokers to run it that were human. You know, he's pinning up his own posters in the lobby. Uh, you know, they, just, they, didn't have the, they didn't have the cold, hard cash. So, but I do love... How you, I, every single time she's in a shot, I think she's gonna lead them here or, or she's gonna do something that is going to, you know, ultimately lead to people's demise. But when she just gets attacked and killed by, I think it's the Tony demon, uh, mm. fantastic. He's <laughs> not expecting it. You're just like, oh crap, like you really were just someone that we should have been like afraid <laughs> for. Yeah, she doesn't say a whole lot, but she's so good at just like having that kind of. A look mysterious look yeah oh, like yeah. she's up she, like she's up to no good or like she's just constantly judging you or yeah. like knows totally. what's coming <laughs> but it reminds me of who's remember that great scene in is it the beyond or is it in inferno where you've i think they're in a the classroom and then there's a woman that just stares right at the camera with the cat i think do you know what i'm talking about it's, it might. It sounds like the Inferno because I don't yeah, remember like, I don't think that's in that. In the and then they just and you never really go back. Anyway, that type of a look that that yeah. people can give without saying anything can can do a lot. I want to say something about. I want to give a shout out the character Frank, the old man who goes to a, this horror movie with his wife, who seems thrilled to be there as well. This is Stelio Candeli. When he tells the teens to shut up during the movie, that's, that's, I, that's I really felt that. I felt that. I was like, that's my guy right there. That's, I that's laughed me. out loud in the very beginning when he turns to his wife, and I, maybe it's just because of the way they dub it. But when he says, "So what? Taking you to a show? What else do you want?" Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like such an asshole. He seems very American to me. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we I, economics. I just wanted to say about Ingrid War. though that green dress with the point collar. Uh, oh yeah, I, I, I remember the green it. dress. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, she's stunning in this movie. Yeah. I think the, Natasha Hovey for me though is the. Uh, all, is all, the yeah, the, all three of those lead women, or four, all four and, of them actually, are just yeah, yeah just gorgeous. It's something in the water over well there. Right? They're really nice. all the women in the movie. Yeah. I wanted to say about Frank when his throat when when Carmen I believe it's Carmen tear, yeah, tears it, like grabs his throat and tears it apart. Oh, mm. so good. Very good. <laughs> We've been teasing this. For a while. Bobby Rhodes, Tony, great suit. I'd like to get that out of the way. Aesthetic great white style. suit. I don't know if Bobby Rhodes, did he do his own dubbing? Is he, it's the same voice in the second one. I, hope I can so. never tell with these, these flicks. Whatever it is, the dubbing makes this entire character. It's incredible. Because uh, for some reason, like the dubbing in this doesn't—it's just obviously been placed over all the action in the scene. Like, there's no, there's no attempt to mix anything here. It's just like he's just screaming at people. But you, Max, kind of goes back to it. You feel like this is going to be just this bad guy the entire time. Who's going to maybe end up being a coward or something. But he ends up being the one that's like trying to keep everybody calm, <laughs> trying to stop the demons from coming in, trying to organize everything going on, on the balcony. 
But that's also why they would never do this today because they just know what audiences want and they, they give it to them. Where you have this character who essentially starts to become a really cool hero who's leading this party and you're like, yeah, 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 cool. And then he gets killed with like half the movie left, you know? I just, I, you just don't see that. And I think it is very much like the, it's almost like filmmakers are making the movie while people are watching it. And the, it, that's why I don't like shows where the second season, it's like, so fan servicey because of mm. all the comments that have come out at between seasons. I yeah. can't stand that shit. Like just make your own stuff. Don't bow down to the fans. Cause I'll tell you right now, they'll turn on you in a heartbeat. It's never going to be, it's never going to be, and it's never going to be half as good as whatever your original take was because no one wants this. No one, no one wants to see it. It's, it's like, it's like when people get married in, in on television shows, like no one wants to see, like the happy ending because uh, it's not gonna it just doesn't happen i don't want to see that i don't want to see this it's just boring now don't give us what we want subvert what we think we want and then give us something that's better and yeah so i don't know i love this character and i i was sad when he <laughs> gets killed but then he comes back as a demon and hey didn't we always want to see a tony demon you know so well he's he's the one that leads that incredible shot in the movie of them coming oh, up the yeah, stairs yeah He's the one in the front. I think he's the the main Mm -hmm. guy on the poster. Those yellow eyes are so good. Great music there, too. I just love how unceremonious the deaths are in this. Just like you were saying, like they build him up to be like this, you know, this central like leader, you know, this leadership role. And then he's just, oh, he's gone. And they do that for so many of them outside of Ken, really. Like (laughs) these people. There are no heroes' deaths. They just turn around and now they're a demon and it's moving on. it's, It's brutal. I think it's interesting how he gets killed by. The well, we'll talk about her in a second, Liz, and then her her hung lover. Yeah. I they picked up on that that he's hanging, he's hung. Mm-hmm. I wonder <laughs> if that was also a bit of uh, a little suggestion by the filmmakers, but tough tough beat for Tony. We, we should go with Max thing. We need more hero pimps in movies, right, Max? Is that what you're trying to tell everybody? <laughs> That's really what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Oh my god. Anyway, um, he by the way, uh, great role, even bigger role in Demons too, for Bobby Rhodes um, as the trainer. Of this Love it. apartment complex. Love him in that movie. Another unforgiving death for him, too. Once again, you think he's this big hero, and he gets his basically his crotch ripped off. I love the line <laughs> when he yells out, Holy shit, she's a friend of mine. <laughs> like, I just love <laughs> coming back from the dead. Smash Great. everything. Not, Smash yeah. everything. It's that the way that it's delivered, you're like, that's not how you should say that, but it works. It's almost like Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> de- you know, delivery. <laughs> it's like yeah. every line is like, that's not how anybody would have said it, but it's, that's absolutely it how it should be said, and that works. <laughs> We've, we spoke a lot already about the punks, but they got some great names, so let's run through these real quick. We got Nina by Bettina Ciampolini. Hot Dog. Giuseppe <laughs> Mauro Cruciano. Baby Pig. Yeah. Peter Pitch. That was gonna be my that was gonna be my uh, my nickname for this episode. I forgot all about it until didn't, right now. Didn't House of Sorority Row also have a character named Pig? Yes, it did. Okay, we're back to back months on Pig. It's like Peter Pitch, Pig, Peter Pitch, Pig, Peter Pitch, Pig, Peter Pitch, Pig, Peter Pitch, Pig. I can do it five times fast. Okay, there we go. Oh, oh here and here's another great subversion when when they go into the room that Jaretta Jaretta's in. And mm-hmm. Nina's putting on the lipstick, and it's not the dreaded demon, but it's the Ruth demon. It's Frank's yeah. wife that shows mm, up and, yeah. and, hair pulled off. and grabs her Oof. scalp. Yeah. It's just, again, you're just like, there's no reason for her to be in that room. <laughs> you're definitely waiting for that other demon. So it's just, I love that stuff. Well, Baby Pig, Peter Pitch, is also an opera, by the way. 
and Ripper, played by Lino Sal- Salome. Salome from Tim and Eric. Salome. Salome. He is the security guard in Demons, too. Mm-hmm. Right. An even bigger role. He's the one that's kind of driving them around. He's, he's, he's very upset when the Coke spills. He's adamant that they pick up every... Just scrape it all up, every gram. And by the way, who is it him or is it one of the other ones who says when the demons are after him saying, do you think they're after the Coke? I think it's Nobody, one of the other no, hands. No, that's oh, pretty man, funny. That's Nobody great. wants your bum-ass yes. cocaine out of the Coke can, buddy. Uh, th- very important, though, that Lino Salome plays one of the accusers in The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. Oh. How about that? What do you know? He, he, he popped back what up. do you know? A lot of religious movies with demons and, and Jesus for, for Lino. Next character, let's talk about this person for a while. You want to talk about getting a really a tough, a tough ending to your life. Werner, played by Alex Sarah. Let's, let's go over this poor guy. So it's, it's tough enough. You know, he's, he's blind, obviously. And then I think his daughter or his niece is secretly making out with some older guy right next to him. Hmm. He gets his eyes clawed out. Yep. Oh, he didn't. Survives that. And, you know, offers up some thoughts. Then he gets trapped under the stack of stairs, of chairs. Then he gets out <laughs> only to become a demon and get, his, and get shot in the head. <laughs> like, what else can it's we possibly <laughs> do? It's a tough route for, for Runner. Um, Funny, because I Baba, always... Baba did say that the choice of having... Um, a blind man going to a movie. He said that was kind of like a, a dark joke, and obviously it's a, it's a dark joke, but there you go. Mac, what were you going to say? I, I always thought that they were together, even though it was strange age difference, because then th- th- it kind of made more sense that she was trying to be so secretive about sneaking yeah, out for this guy. Yeah, that's the vibe I got. I didn't know they were... But but I think near the end, he, he, I think he says... He mentions it, yeah. He says my, it was my, his niece. My niece or... Yeah, something like that. But then, yeah, so. you know, I guess it, also... It's a different if, culture if, over if, there, too, so I don't know. Exactly. If, I didn't if know what was If it was my on. uncle or whatever, and I, maybe I wouldn't be wanting him to know that I'm sneaking off with this other, like, gentleman. <laughs> anyway, well, so... <laughs> you know what? I wonder if you got... Oh, go there's, a, there's a similar thing. What? It's an, in an Argento movie. Is it um, where there's the blind guy and the little girl who's kind of like assisting him all the time. And yeah, you find out later that he just kind of like adopted her, that it wasn't mm. his daughter or granddaughter even. This is a running theme apparently. in these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this actor, Mike Vanderbilt mentioned earlier on, he's one of the screenwriters worked on once upon a time in America. Is that right, Mike? Is the actor Franco Ferrini? Well, I mean, this actor, Alex Sarah, was in a bit role in Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, he's in, in Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, there's two Once Upon a Time in America. Connect. But more importantly, folks, he is in one of the many Demons 3 movies, <laughs> The Ogre. He's in The Ogre. It was, oh, go. sorry. It was The Cat of Nine Tales. I just remember. Cat of Nine movie. Tales. That's right. Okay. okay. Is he The Ogre? With James Franciscus, I believe, from Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Am I right? And uh, The Last Shark, a.k.a. Great White. Good lord! Last shark. This was the, oh yeah, we, we joked about like that. He was the Roy Scheider character, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's he's. Uh, I think he's the Roy Scheider. Yes. Well, there's other characters in this movie. Let's be honest. It's time to move on to our next category. Wait, did we talk? Ca- well, I guess we already talked about Carmen. The second. Oh, you know what? No, 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 no. Hold on. Fabiola, Toledo. You know what? We did not talk about Carmen. We have to talk about Carmen. You know why? Because I I actually cut her out because I was going to talk about her in the villain section and I did not have her put back in the cast. We got to talk about Carmen. Good call, Mac. 
Uh, this is the scariest part of the entire movie for me. Yeah. Is when that slow transformation and the way she's kind of lit when she lifts up her head and the teeth and the fingernails. Ooh, the teeth is so good. Oh, yeah. yeah the fingernails and the teeth are just chilling. Yes, very good. Um, a great moment, great and great music mm-hmm. during that scene, too. We kind of get away from the the rock or even like the upbeat Simonetti stuff or more of the choral kind of gothic-y vibe that he gives in that. Um, yeah, really, really affecting scene, right? There. Affecting, like it's emotionally. No, it's a very effective scene, though. And we'll talk about the makeup in that scene. Hell, you know what? Let's talk about our next category. Do it. Called Great Graphics. Ah! What do you know? I beat my score. <laughs> but yeah, Mike, you touched upon this earlier. Sergio Stivaletti ended up working with Argento from this movie all the way to the aforementioned Dracula 3D and Goevi's The Church, a.k.a. One of the Many Demons 3s. Demons 3. Wait, One of the Many Demon 3s. That sounds about right. <laughs> it doesn't make sense either way, so there you go. I think what we need to start doing is like just taking movie posters and just putting Demons 3. That's a great it. idea. Did you know that? Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> I want to see the last shark poster with Demons 3 Demons on it. Demons 3, the last shark. <laughs> This is going to be a great bit. Did you know that? Did you know that overseas, like Starman was released as Demons Three Starman? (laughs) I'm just seeing the Demons Three logo over. This could go on. This bit could go on forever. This is going to be good. This is going to be really good. Okay, listen. I don't want to be old man yells at cloud, but the practical effects in this movie make all the difference in the world. If you did it now, and you tried to cheat with CGI, it's just not the same experience. Yeah. Right, Rachel. What do you think? It's part of the I mean, show. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I agree. The practical effects make that, and you feel it. You feel yes. it hits so differently. Like so I those, like you can. Yeah, the nails just coming out. Like oh god, oh, yeah, it just so sends shivers up my spine and the teeth and just like how they fall. Like they actually, you know, stood with that shot and like what you know they let the effect happen and it just. Mm-hmm. It's something you can't always predict, and CGI, I feel like, is so regimented, whereas sometimes practical effects, like, things just happen, and mm. it's they react, and things move in certain ways that you can't always necessarily predict, and it's those imperfections that actually make it more effective, I think. I agree. And this is such a great example of that, and also just the way those shots are framed up, it just shows that the team behind it was really aware of what was happening and the best way to kind of highlight those effects so that you're not, you know, it hides very well the stuff that maybe wouldn't look so good. They really knew what they were doing. And yeah, that's an important point, I think, because I think even these days when, you know, being the old man who yells at the cloud, when movies do have practical effects, they don't always know how to shoot it. They almost linger on it too long. Mm-hmm. Or they overlight it, and mm-hmm. this movie does not do that. Yeah, or it's too wide, or like it's just 
it, it seems like everybody involved knew what they were doing and knew what was going to work best and didn't try to make it too fancy. Like it was just, nope, we can't cut too wide because we don't have the rest of that filled out. Like we only have this effect working in this you little frame and we're not going to yeah. move from that. And I think that's a testament to like the way we keep talking about how like all these people work together on all these other Italian yeah. horror flicks. Yeah. And they probably had this that working relationship where they knew they probably didn't even have to talk about it at this yeah. point. Like maybe, or maybe not by 85, but like later on, like, yeah, we know, we know, we know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. Well, it's yeah, the Argento exactly. thing of it all too. You've got somebody who's been dealing with these extreme, not just extreme special effects, but extreme close-ups of violent effects. And it's Dario Argento. I've been doing that for, you know, 15 years at this point. Oh, and, I, and I'm assuming, like, I have not done, don't, you know, I haven't actually looked into some of these people pretty heavily, but I'm, assu- I'm assuming how close-knit this community was. Like, these people were wor- working on Fulci films, and, yeah. like, think about how gory Fulci stuff is, mm, and how absolutely. visceral that is, and, you know, Argento stuff, and Cozy stuff, Luigi Cozy, and, mm-hmm. you know, like, there's all these filmmakers who are making really graphic and visceral things in Italian cinema. So these, I'm sure that these effects people, you know, even the people working under, you know, the, the main leadership team, like they, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> well, we mentioned, of course, Umberto Lindsay directed one of the great demons movies, <laughs> but yeah. also did, I think he did cannibal Ferox, didn't he? Wasn't that Lindsay? I believe so. It's okay. Ferox, yeah. Okay. Another extremely graphic movie, though. So, I mean, this, yeah, they knew what they were doing at this point, I feel. They were pretty confident in their abilities, and it's good when confidence pays off. You know what I mean? It's not like they were confident in the being garbage. Like, this, this stuff still looks great 35, 36 years later. Yeah. And then in addition to that, like I said, just the practical stuff of the, the motorcycle running around, the, you know, driving around the theater, and then that helicopter crash— it's just a great special effects extravaganza. And that's what the movie is, and it delivers on all fronts, in my humble opinion. I mean, we've we talked a lot about the graphics throughout, but it, it looks great. I also love the contrast of, like, it's not even red. It's like orange eyes for the demons. It's not even red mm-hmm. eyes. But when they're from afar, they've got that yellow, yeah. bright yellow shining light. And then the green coming out of their mouths. Like, just all the color palette stuff there. That kind of is Argento-y with the many colors, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. But these demons are ugly and, as hell, but they look great. And Baba. I mean, oh, Baba too. Mario, Mario I mean, yeah. Mario was doing that before, you know, mm-hmm. before Argento was. And I'm sure his son, you know. Like, Dad, do you mind if I ape this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, uh. son, you must ape it because you're <laughs> Italian. Yes, right. <laughs> make it green. Make it green coming out of the mouse. It is in our culture to rip people off. That's right. It would be a great <laughs> honor if you were to rip off your father. We do not do copyright here. <laughs> well, have you ever let's... seen uh, the last shark <laughs> <laughs> with James Franciscus? Okay, let's move on to our next category. It's 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 where we're going to talk about our favorite kill, which is going to be difficult, I think. And it's a section called "Movies Make Psychos More Creative." Stop it, Billy! Would you all right? I can't take any more. I'm feeling woozy here. All right, this is a tough one. What is the best kill in this movie? I, I'll easily the the demon out of the back. That's a good one. That's that's the that's best. A great that's great one because you get the demon, like we said, you see end of the old uh, New World Pictures VHS box. That's right. It's turtleneck. It's impressive. It uh, it's it it delivers on what you were promised. I will go with the vent. 
I think that's pretty you great. Good? The vent with the um, the crawling through and then the big reveal, then she she bites into his neck. That's probably. I mean, there's so many great ones, but that but that might be the one for me in, in terms of my most recent rewatch. Mac, what about you? Uh, for me, even though it's simple, I think it's the most memorable is the is Cheryl getting shot and then just her body on the asphalt. <laughs> I mean, it's not like a special effects in a zenith or anything, but it's just it's so surprising and brutal and just uh, if you didn't already feel like the movie is brutal enough, like. Ain't no one getting out of this. And then, you know, leaving final boy George driving off just kind of in awe <laughs> is so, Kirk. so bold. And having, her, and having her killed by Bob, of all people. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, That's little right. Kirk. I love that little team that shows, that little family teams. They're like, there's more weapons in the back, you know? Like, oh, they oh, like, this only started an hour ago. Like, how, yeah. how long has this been going on out here, you know? They were survivalists, probably. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that that's it for me. I mean, I love the demon out of the back, and I love the Vinci. Like you said, there's so many to choose from, but those. It, I don't know if it's really a kill, but I would just it, my second would be the Dreadjetta like transformation, just the initial mm. transformation. Yeah. yeah. Rachel, what about you? I think so. Okay, so as far as memorable death goes, that would be what's her name Carmen. That was I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the most memorable actual death and you feel it, I think, the most. And it obviously has had such an impact. So as far as like memorable and influential death, I'd say that. Um, I do think when our, you know, our Terminator man, our Terminator phantom man gets the rebar to the face. Oof, the slow what I too. think is, yeah, that's that's what it is. It's the mm-hmm. slowness of that one. You can feel him resisting it. It's not just like a quick, like, okay, shove your head on this. Like it really kind of draws it out into just uncomfortable enough length that it feels a little bit more visceral. So that one's well, always pretty brutal to me. That was a Fulci-esque thing. That reminded me of zombie with the eye through the the slow eye into the yeah. the wood you know that's very influenced by that yeah um look there's so many but that, I mean, that's a great thing about this movie you can't just say oh it's this one and then we move on it's right the movie just the movie moves along so fast because there's so many memorable moments in it you know whether it's motorcycles in theaters or <laughs> people getting scratched in bathrooms i mean this is this is this is demons for you okay well let's go on to our, our last section appropriately enough called one last scare. Brandy said the killer's always superhuman. Yeah, well, he wasn't superhuman, Dewey. He wasn't superhuman at all. All right, so let's do the uh, kind of like the five star rating. But what would, what do we want to go with here? Five what? What would be the demon masks? Five demon, five metal demon masks. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. it. Okay, Rachel, on a scale of one to five. Metal Demon Masks, MDM. I give this four and a half Metal Mm, Demon Masks. I love this movie. It's so fun. There's And it's better than you think it's going to be. I I say that to anybody who's never seen it before. Like, Mm -hmm. just give it a chance. Like, I promise you it's going to, like, just completely blow your expectations. And, yeah, it's such a fun watch to watch with a group. And the effects are great. The actors are great. It's a fun, simple story like just executed really well i think it's nothing more than it needs to be Mm. and you know backstory logic don't don't think about it just have fun and just watch it and you know 
just like Johnny Jewel's record label says, mm. you know, Italians do it better. And there we go. I, That's what I, like to I hear. really think that when it comes to stories like this, they just really do. It's something that you don't see anymore. And I just, if it was, you know, an American film, it just, I don't know. There's something about the way that Italians handle it that I think that just can't be replicated. I think, again, if it was an American film, Somebody would say, we've got to find the book. It's in this place. we got to get the spell. And I, it would have been so plot, drowned by plot, I feel oh, yeah. like, would have ended up happening. That's exactly it. It's, like, just so simple and nothing yep. more than it needs to be and just doesn't bother with, you know, too much exposition or exactly. story. Like, it eh, doesn't matter. Just, you know, throw a motorcycle and a katana in there and you're good to go. 100% agree. Uh, Mac, what do you think? You know, not even Nostradamus could have predicted <laughs> oh, yeah. that after, Wait, after my fourth or fifth watch of this film, it's it's up there now. I've, I'm giving it five demon masks. Ah, I, I just, I there's never anything in the movie where I'm like bored or confused. If I'm if I'm confused, it's in a good way. It's in a it's a it's a like I want to go talk about this movie for hours and be like, how is this working? Why is this working? What is the movie? what's going on in the movie within the movie and what's the plot of that movie? Cause it seems that seems to be more of a, you know, Tenebre esque, you know, slasher film with a, you know, some guys stabbing people. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's fantastic. It's so fun. And it's the kind of horror movie that it, if I had to pick like five horror movies to introduce young kids to <laughs> horror, <laughs> this Children, would be, this would be it though, because it's so fun and, and, and just, you know, captures everything that I really love about, horror and it's it walks that line of comedy and uh so well like it's so gross but i'm never turning away from it it, because i'm it's just the pacing's fantastic and i love the effects and the score's great um yeah ultimately if if i was going to tell someone to get into like italian horror i'd be like oh watch this because it's super accessible Mm -hmm. you know Mm. So five five de- demon masks with maybe a, a, a samurai sword on top. Mm. Mike Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah. Rare is the picture that not only makes good on its box art, but perhaps exceeds all expectations. Demons, it hits the ground running, barely stops for 90 minutes. It's wild, it's absurd, it's gross and gory, it's scary. Provides memorable, cool-looking fucking monsters. What else do you want? And I love when a horror movie has like a rock and roll edge, like mm-hmm. we have discussed several times when I love sequences in films in horror films where a death is set to music. And this whole movie is set to music, not only the score, which is also very rock and roll, but the, the soundtrack album, the collection of songs. And uh, the closest I can think to an America of an American movie that kind of touches this rock and roll vibe in the demons sense is return to the living dead. Which I think yeah. would actually make a great double feature, Return of the Living Dead and Demons. Were those both 85 or is that 84, Return of the Living They're Dead? They're both 85. There you go. Well, and they I both think, have sequels that are basically remakes. Well, I think mm-hmm. it's worth noting, yeah, that, I mean, this is 1985, so the music video has become the predominant art form in mm-hmm. popular culture. And I think both those movies, Demons especially, leans into that and does it well. And... Every time you think this movie has it all, it just gives you a little bit more. Pimple popping, cool. Now there's a samurai sword. Now there's a motorcycle. And now there's a fucking helicopter. Lean, mean, nasty, fun. Demons delivers. Five stars. Five five demon masks. Wow. All right. All right. Yeah. 
I'd say of the 10 Demon movies, this is probably the best one. It's the best <laughs> entry of the series. Oh, the 11, 11. 11, you're right, 11. I, I, I got to check out this Tony the Pimp movie now. I, I've got to check this thing out. I, I don't know what else I can possibly say that you, that you all haven't said already. I would give it four metal demon masks out of five. And that's just in terms of um, not just in terms of like horror, in terms of this type of movie. Five out of five, if I, if I really want to stick with it. In terms of like the grand scheme of the thousands of movies I've seen, I'm going to give it four metal, what was it again? Metal, uh, demon white demon masks. White metal demon masks, MDM. It's just a fun, I, people use fun liberally these days. I'm telling you, this movie is fun from the first minute, from the first Yamaha keyboard note from Claudio Simonetti when you see the um, Dario Argento presenta flying at the screen. It's just, it doesn't stop. And, it's, and it maintains a kind of level of tension that's really hard to do in horror movies, which kind of ebb and flow. Yeah. You're kind of just invested the entire time. And I highly recommend it to people who haven't seen it. And once again, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, we really appreciate all your support over the years. <laughs> and we hope that you watch Demons. And definitely check out it's our Patreon. It's unspoilable, too. That? Like, even if you did listen oh, yeah. to this episode, like, we're, us talking about it doesn't even begin... Exactly. To touch on what you're going to see. Because when you think about it, we hardly even talked about the movie within the movie and what the hell that's all about. Yeah. There's so much more to discover in the world of Lombardo Baba's demons. Rachel, besides pimple popping Rachel on YouTube, where else can people find you? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, well, when it comes to social media, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Vinyl Girl, G-R-R-R-L. And uh, I'm also on a few of the recent episodes of the Losers Club with uh, my fellow losers who are here. So, yeah, you can catch me on a few of those upcoming ones. Very good. And Mackenzie. Well, you can find me at Wolfman underscore Mac underscore Gerber on Instagram. And I think it's Mackenzie James 25 at Twitter. I am also one of the losers, the losers club. And I think we just wrapped up all of our coverage on Lisey's story. And I think we're covering Lord of the flies next, uh, book wise. Um, and also, uh, we're, I think a couple of us are going to be doing the silver bullet commentary tomorrow mm-hmm. night I'll be uh, on that. for that. So that'll be fun. Um, so check that out. What have we got coming up or, well, I guess you're going to pass it over to Vanderbilt first before we talk about what's coming up next on Halloweenies, but Mike well, you can find me elsewhere at the Windy City Double Feature Picture Show podcast. And I, as a companion piece to this episode, I would recommend checking out our double feature that we covered of Mask of the Red Death and Mario Bava's Black Sabbath. Mm. And you can find me on Twitter at Mike Vanderbilt. You can see all these stupid photoshops that we were talking about. <laughs> that we retweeted throughout <laughs> the years. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I think it's Justin Gerber seven on Twitter. Cause I, I canceled Twitter so much over the last 10 years. And I, every time I'd come back, I'd have to get a new name. Uh, and then on Instagram also as Justin Gerber, you can also find me over at the losers club podcast. I was in a couple of the Lisey stories episodes and I will be on the silver bullet episode for them as well. Definitely be sure though, to check out our Patreon for Halloweenies where we've got a number of non-franchise movies that we've covered as well as a number of audio commentaries that we've recorded over the last almost year now, actually, of coverage there. So we've got hours upon hours for your pure enjoyment and disgust in some cases. And we're definitely having a fun time recording those at patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod. 
And we are going to be going back. Well, I guess it's not really. We're going to go be, we're going to be going to Hollywood next month on this main feed. We are returning to Scream with Scream 3. I will be on that episode. Who else is on that episode? Mac, are you on that episode? No. I think, it's, I think it's the oh, mics. Oh, yeah. I can't wait yeah. to talk about the Scream 3 soundtrack. Iconic. A scream, one of the great soundtracks. We've got Scream, Scream Again and Scream Again for Scream 3. I mean, next month. And we've, we've also planned out the rest of our year for our Patreon. We're very excited about revealing those as the months go on. What can I say? This is a fun episode to do. This is, you know, I always love these episodes when we're doing these kind of freewheeling movies because I feel the episode can be much more freewheeling. Not a lot of like respect has to be paid, or you know, I don't know. We, it's we just, paid a lot of respect. We paid a lot of respect. What I mean, like, we, we paid the exact amount. You know the exact, I was gonna say the exact amount of respect that these films deserve. I'll just say we're not covering, you know, Schindler's List. You know, I don't need to. I can kind of joke around during demons. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But we will be covering Schindler's List in October, so keep an eye out for that <laughs> oh episode. God. Don't no, put it no. Out Listen, there. what's our sign off again for these? It's uh oh, something you should never say. In a horror movie. We'll be right back. This is the end of our show, for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>